You're now listening to The Bad Guy Radio production of Black and White Featuring Justin Lee Ken W.O. And Junior, your boy And your King boy Mac. King Mac What's up King Mac, I appreciate it What's up King Mac, I appreciate it Hey, good evening, guys. You're tuned into another episode of Black and White. It's me, Justin, and we got a packed fucking house tonight. I got Mac, Ken, two juniors, our original co-host and Ozzy Gian Jr. Ozzy Jr., how are you feeling tonight? What up, guys? I loved it after uh, that little intro there. That's, that's kind of that's kind of badass. Probably bad. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I was enjoying uh, in, in a podcast, I think, that I've been on. But I'm doing good, man. Here, excited to talk baseball, freezing my balls off in Chicago. Oh, yeah. It's cold as balls, right, Ken? You've been going yeah, for walks. You got both your nutsacks or what? <laughs> yeah, shriveled up, man. It's awful cold out there. Go for walks in those Air Force Ones, huh? <laughs> yeah. Maybe the Monarchs. Gotta get the Monarchs. Don't bring up the fucking Monarchs. <laughs> okay. He probably got his great book on his lap right now. Uh, before we dive into some, uh, you know, lockout talk, White Sox talk, I want to kick it off being a fucking social justice warrior. Now, we got a rule in Bad Guy Radio. We do not be social justice warriors here. But I want to talk about the, you know, the whistleblower crowd where every time, you know, we got a company bar stool that opens up a new bar, does something successful. Everybody's talking about fuck bar stool. They want to go back 10 years, seven years going into, uh, you know, old tweets, some fucking allegations. Why can't we let people be successful you know oj you went you went to the bar you had a great fucking time ozzy your fucking father went viral seven hours later i was hung over looking at the pictures fucking absolutely beautiful time and you know, people were j- shitting on it and i hate it for what you know they're, they're they're haters they're haters because you know i can't judge anyone until i meet them personally okay and i, and I think i'm a pretty good judge of character again do I think Dave Portnoy is going to hang out in the hood with, with Ozzy just randomly and Ben Caracas? No, but I think if Ozzy invited him, I think that he'd be open mind enough and probably dumb enough to go there and check it out and not be scared. Cause he's just that guy. You know, I think that people just number one, people get, get, get mad about, you know, that they're successful. I think number two, everyone's full of shit about the moments that they've had in their lives. Cause I think depending on where you're at in your life, uh, as a person, uh, as a character, as a human being overall, you're in different times of your life. You say a lot of dumb shit. Okay. I'm sure if there was social media back in 2005 or you had a microphone on me, I, I probably would be blamed for saying some really inappropriate stuff. I'll be honest with you. Like, I asked my parents if there was a picture of me when I was a kid as a blackface, because in our culture, there's a town during the carnivals that in Venezuela, they paint kids with black paint. Okay. And (laughs) I would have to probably go online and explain myself. Why am I, you know, in this picture wearing black paint because they would not look up and say, is this something that people in Venezuela do? So I, I, I think that I don't blame people for things they did in the past. I think that I I do believe in forgiveness, but I really believe that it's people just being haters. I'll be honest. I've heard, I heard people say like, 
there's a bunch of dudes and it's a sausage fest. Well, that's what that's what most bars are anyways. <laughs> it's like there's I mean, no it's true, bar. yeah. You're not wrong. Bar wants to <laughs> girls, but you know, it was a great place. I loved it because it was a place where people go to watch sports, okay? And they, you can call me a meathead, okay? You can call other females that I hang out with that love baseball and sports meatheads as well because they're usually worse than I am with the sports. Um, I think it was a place that everybody can come together and really enjoy your sport. So I don't like that. I think that, you know, I think that those people that hate just want to get retweeted. They want to get posted. We we had people sending Aussie messages like, you got to watch out for this guy. They, I said, dude, Aussie's get from- Get the fuck out of here. I swear to God, they're like, he's such a bad human being. I was like, Aussie's from Caracas, Venezuela, worst hood. Like out of all the bad hoods in Venezuela, Aussie's from like the top three hoods. I was like, either everyone that he went to school with is either dead or in prison. Like, he's been around, like, really bad human beings. Not human beings that are bad for tweeting. I'm talking about human beings that have done some really bad things. I think Ozzy, the last thing he's thinking about is Dave Portnoy being a dangerous person to him of any danger uh, of that. So I just thought it was funny. Again, a lot of people were, like, shocked that we were there. Like, I don't know why, because you got invited to a cool bar. We didn't pay, number one. It was cool. Okay. Ozzy was like, that's awesome. I don't got to pay. And Ozzy's friends with the guys. You know, he's been on the show a couple of times. They've been super nice to him. And Ozzy's a real guy. And we we're like, you know what? Let's check it out. And obviously we wanted to meet him. We were intrigued. Like, who isn't intrigued by a guy that is all over social media, all over the, you know, all over TV. Uh, we all love sports and, you know, we love gambling. And I think, you know, it was really interesting meeting him. So I just think people were just being haters, man. Like people, it's Chicago. Like we need positive things. Like we need more guys like Dave Portnoy opening up more bars and just like more opportunity. And, and the bigger bar still gets the bigger sports shows become the more money that comes in, the more people are like, man, these, you know, people that are covering teams are, we need that more. So like, it, it's just a, a ripple down effect. Like you can't root against Portnoy and Barstool. Like you want to go try to go get a job on ESPN. They destroyed that completely. Like before 20 years ago, you either did sports, you either worked at ESPN or like a radio station. That's it. That, that model has been completely crushed. And which I think it's awesome because I don't think that you have to actually be discovered by anybody. I think that anyone that has the knowledge of the game and wants to give out their opinion, why not? And I, and I really believe, I really, really love that. I think that that's something really cool about sports now. Yeah. We like, look at what we got on the show right now. We got five different personalities, five different people, and we all consume the same thing. And of course we are going to disagree Nobody, every, everybody's different, but why can't we focus on what we got in common? You know what I'm saying? Like in the, in the, in the group chat, we argue about the quarterback tier all the time, preference, all of that. We have come to some mediums, but some people don't understand how to rank a quarterback. Now think about this, OJ. Every fucking day I have Lamar Jackson's name in my mouth only because King Mac is a Black Panther and he thinks Lamar Jackson is some type of fucking top five, even top seven quarterback. And, and we got to we got to continually harass him on the Internet in the messages because he doesn't fucking get it. But that's still our brother. And we love it, you know. So why can't people be like that to even spread love, even in disagreement? I think they, we got away from that. You have to find, in order for unity, you have to find the common ground, number one. 
And I think that sports brings that to a lot of individuals. I think that when you root for the same team or you're in the same industry, like I'll give you an example. Like if we're on Twitter and we're like talking baseball and everybody's like pulling for their team, but then here comes a dude that says baseball sucks, European soccer rules. Everybody turns on him that loves baseball. Like you could be talking any sport and like if you, they put your sport down, like, oh, baseball's boring. I'm like all out. Like I don't, I'll, I'll, I'll lash out. Cause I love baseball, but I think that you bring, you, you got to bring people what they have in common and kind of make it okay for you to talk and have those safe spaces of you having those conversations about Lamar Jackson, you know, and, and talking sports, you know, helps you out on that. And I think that the, the dangerous part is when you start becoming too correct in sports and sports is one of the only things that you, you can judge on, like you can judge on performance on the field. There's a scoreboard. You know, there's wins and losses and there's like success versus no success. And I think that when you can have those arguments and, and, and solidify things like that is actual factual, it's a lot easier and have a lot more in common with someone than start arguing things that you cannot measure and that you cannot have a scoreboard for. And it's not factual because then it's like just really your truly opinion. Like I always tell my friends this, like if you tell me that, and I always use my father as an example, like Ozzy Guillen's a better player than Alex Rodriguez was when he got brought up. I'm like, hey, man, that's awesome. That's a, that's a great opinion to have, but I, you're fucking wrong. I mean, you're just <laughs> flat out wrong, like, because, of, and I can prove it. So, but, so, but I, it's hard to do those things not outside. And, and I think the other part is when talking about media, I don't, I don't know if you did it, like, like just thinking about it. Most of these podcasts and these shows have been created from people that know each other and are actually friends prior to doing a, a podcast or a show together. So it's not planned. So you have people that are from different parts usually and kind of bring like something cool to the table. Usually the media, okay, they usually try to pick the people that are going to be on there. Like if you look at it, it's like very obvious. Like, ah, I need an older, older, mature guy. I'll make sure that he's white and I need a, you know, I need a black guy. And I, you know, I'm going to pay, I'm going to put a Hispanic woman. And now, and, and you're not really looking at the talent. You're really looking at just nitpicking and putting up there and our, and our, it's just society. And I, and I feel that sports that's happening to it. And, and people want to like, you know, cater to uh, certain things. Like I'm, I'm the worst man. Like I'm, I'm someone that loves bat flipping. If you won the game and you just hit the buzzer beater. But if you do, if you start like a halftime celebration first quarter, you know, with 10 minutes left, like that's like the second inning, I have a huge problem with it. I do because I've been playing and I know that the other team is like, this guy's a clown and that adds animosity and now guys are going to get drilled. There's going to be fights. So I'm in this weird age of my life where I don't like the extreme and that's sports now. Like people just want to chase the clicks and chase the, the, the viral. And, you know, we often talk about just like nonsense because we don't really look into it. And I feel like that's what these different outlets and podcasts and this stuff keeps us honest because honestly, these new media realms they can imagine if they were the only ones existing they would just be putting up crazy stuff and just wanting the likes and that's the dangerous part like think about it we're keeping the news and sports real like we're keeping the people humble and saying hey this is what we really think yeah i think you brought up some great points i mean as far as with the barstool stuff uh the part i don't like about it especially on social media is there's no consistency People pick and choose who they're going to go after based on political ideology, based on who they're friends with, who they're not friends with. So it's like they really are not standing on principles. 
they just arguing because they dislike this particular person for whatever reason. So stuff like that, I can't get down with that. I think if you have a certain principle, you should stand on that no matter what all the time. But when you start picking and choosing, I, I can't believe you anymore. And then uh, it, it's a lot of fake activism, too, on social media. I mean, it, I think I think there's athletes out there that that plan it. OK, I'll give you one that I've heard from friends and people. Um, I like Lucas Giolito because, you know, how he votes. I couldn't tell you pretty much no one that I was around in baseball, like what their political party was. Okay. And I knew them pretty well. I could probably take a guess, but I, I, I've never, it, it is very ironic. And then I've heard people say, I, I don't like Tim Anderson because he, you know, he did X, Y, and Z, you know, in a national, like that stuff to me is like, what? Like, it's so like, and I, I'm not using Sox players, but there's like a whole list. And even in the Latino side, I think that, you know, my, my, my issue, Justin, with activism, with players, is that you need to be very careful, okay? Because, so my father, for, and I'm talking to now the baseball side, my father made sure that every year that we, we went to Kansas City, that we went to the Negro League Museum. And we, the reason we went to the Negro League Museum was because he, he correlated and said there was a big part in, like, Latinos. And basically... Latino players, if you were not of more of a Spaniard's descent, you couldn't play baseball. Okay. And even in Venezuela, baseball was seen like as a sport where minorities played it. And it wasn't something that your parents wanted for you to do in your life. Not until my dad's generation, even then, like that one was a kind of an iffy. And you start hearing stories and you go in that museum and you're like reading, like you start looking at the stuff and you're like, man, like, you know, player A could not walk into a restaurant and had to eat separate. And and then once you're in the game of baseball, you start meeting guys and you start meeting guys like, you know, I, 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 I met Minnie Mino, so I talked to Minnie, had dinner with Minnie many of times. So you're hearing Minnie talk about like, you know, stuff that he went through. And then even like Ozzy as a player, you know, came at 16, like no translator, like just things that were just like, you know, you know, just survive. There's a lot of guys in the game of baseball that have gone through a lot of things, okay, in sports in general. A lot of guys, a lot of guys that don't have their numbers retired. A lot of guys that don't have, you know, again, like we were just talking earlier, Dick Allen, you know, a lot of guys that a lot of things, um, you, you know, the, the founder of basically uh, free agency. So a lot of minority guys that have a lot of things that have happened to them in their career that have gotten us to the point that we're here. And that's how you get into the lockout conversation. You know, they did a lot for the game of baseball. That for guys to say things like, you know, we're being oppressed, those words to me are very dangerous. Like I'm being oppressed, but I'm making, you know, $40 million. That's, that's very dangerous grounds of how you're being, maybe you're not being heard or you're not being marketed as much, but like using the word oppressed. And I have a funny joke. I said, I can't wait for Venezuelans to wake up and start complaining that we don't have enough guys in the NBA. When I watch the NBA, I'm like, man, why don't we have more Latinos playing the NBA? That's BS. We want our 25%, you know, cut. <laughs> Like baseball players, because they're playing other damn sports. They dominate two of them. Do you guys ever think about that? Like they're like, this is we're we have a way better chance, and we, we could be way better in another sport than you know than baseball because baseball is not easy. Like there's a lot of you know the, making money, and you have to do it right away. And again, like so, there's just all these things. Then people always take it back to like, oh, you know, they're not letting us play. It's like, well, the numbers of Latinos have increased, and 
you know, do you not count someone that's Dominican for both? So like, those are all conversations that are very hard because, you know, people make it seem in, in my family. Okay. People talk about being my Ozzy hates and Ozzy could have written this, this story all the way to the bank. I'm not managing because I'm Latino story. Okay. Well, Ozzy's not managing because I think number one, the game has changed a lot and guys that were managing in Ozzy's era are no longer managing. I think the number one issue is that players are a lot softer now and teams know that. So uh, they might think Ozzy might break one of those guys. I just saw some football coach. Uh, the Bucks guy just got fined $50,000 for hitting a player in the helmet. And yeah, was, Bruce Arians. Ozzy was reading it this morning and it was like, what is this? Like, he was so confused. I'm like, Bruce did something on TV. I was like, no, he like literally just sat the guy in the helmet. But so I think that that's why he's not managing. And again, he's also very honest, um, you know, very uh, upfront for a lot of things. A lot of people don't like that. So I, I but I, I don't think it's like he's not managing because he's Hispanic, like he's Latino. You know, the, you know, Alex is, you know, Alex is Latino. Uh, there's other guys that are managing Latino. Are they Latino like Ozzy Guillen? No. no. So you could say that guys like Ozzy Guillen are being segregated, which doesn't mean that that's a race. That's more of a style. Okay, but there's Latinos out there because, again, it's more about style than where you're from. And people always want to say that, like, oh, you're not you're not managing because you're Latino. And it's like, no, I'm not managing because they don't want guys like me because I'm not going to I'm not going to carry your water. I'm not going to you know, I'm not going to be I don't need this job. And when people tell you that, like, I don't need this job, that's how Ozzy comes from. They're like, I'm here and I want to win, but I don't need this job. Like, I'm going to do this my way. Like, and this, so people want to always say it's about, like, you know, race. And he, and he hates that. He hates he hates the fact that people say, I'm, and I always ride with this, I'm the first Latino-born manager to ever win a World Series. He's just like, I wasn't even thinking about that. He's like, I just want to win. But now he's got a title, and now he gets mad because now anyone who wins that happens to be Hispanic or of Hispanic descent, they're like, they throw him on there. And he's like, wait a minute, you were born in the States and you went to school in the States just because your mom and dad are from you know, Latin America, don't make you, you know, it's not the same level of education, same background. So it's a very deep, complex situation, and, and one that... Again, I think that it's a huge challenge for managers now in any sport because everyone wants to talk about it and, and bring it up. I think it's a huge challenge because before it was something you didn't have to deal with. Um, you just kind of basically ignored it. Maybe, maybe they're Neanderthals, but it was just something that you didn't really think about. But now it's a lot deeper and 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 it's it's hard. It's something you have to deal with. But again, I think that there's I like guys that are for real, okay? Um, in the sense that they 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 stay true to the word. And again, a lot of people are going to say a lot of dumb shit, um, but I think a lot of people do it for 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 marketing and and, and praise and whatnot. And again, I I love when you're being a great role model, in my opinion, regardless of the color of your skin. But I'm that word for me, man. Segregation, you know, I'm being oppressed. I'm doing. It's very sensitive. I, there's there's a there's a player on the White Sox, okay, that no one talks about because he doesn't look black. And I'll tell you this, Justin, uh, John Moncada, okay. Juan Moncada is half and half. John Moncada's dad is black as night. Okay. Damn. Yeah, he's he's an African American man. Like he's, you know, and he just came out on the lighter skin. And he came from an oppressed country in Cuba. And he doesn't like talking about certain things because he thinks the United States is the greatest country that ever happened to him. He's like, why would I say anything bad? Like I'm making millions of dollars, like just by being able to wear a uniform and play baseball. But yet no one talks about him. And his story, and he practices a religion from Africa. Like he is the real deal, but no one talks about him in that way. And he knows it because of his color of his skin. But then other, and that's all the media. Like no one in the media said like, hey, Moncada, 
like you're you're kind of like a mix like right like you know tell me about your father okay so that's where the media and like that so it's a it's a very it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a dangerous world because and even now i think teams and play and teams teams and the media they, they run with it because they know they could sell they know they can get the clicks they get you know they get the 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 people to put the eyes on it they put the marketing on it um but at the end of the day you know it's it's something that uh it's it's um it's not easy it's tough i want well, i'll give you a guy i always admired cuz he always wore it, wore it on his sleeves he did a lot for the inner cities and he was like that since day one uh two guys that i know and and they weren't very like they they were very low key they're more vocal now uh curtis Anderson, who happens oh, to be yeah. Uh, from Blue always, Island, I think. Right? Always very involved, and always very involved in, in a great way. And Cesar Sabathia, okay, um, huge voice always for for all all my all, all the minority players. So I was around those guys a lot, and it was really cool seeing that they always stood up when they had to. They again, I can't say they were big social media guys because social media wasn't there, but they did it more from a place of they wanted to make things better than more more than. I want fame for this. They just wanted stuff to just get better, like everything to get, you know, improve. Like if you're going to do, if you're going to do baseball in the inner cities, we want them to, you know, be the best inner city baseball possible. If you're going to do something in Latin America, we want it to be the best, you know, baseball possible in Latin America. And they, and they didn't care about getting the, you know, the acolytes for it, but those are two guys that I can, that I can, that I can talk about that I've been around that did a lot for the game of baseball that no one, you know, mentions in the minority world. But I think now there's a lot of, you know, marketing and press and, you know, sometimes, and again, guys might want to do it for, for their own gain. Other guys might not, but the ones that do it for real, they're, they're growing the game of baseball. And again, that's, I think that's the most important thing is, can you, can you impact a, a kid somewhere? Uh, because most 95% of the kids that come up to Ozzy, Ozzy senior, none of them are from Venezuela. None of them are Hispanic. It's usually some kid, white kid from the South side or a black kid from the South side. That was like, man, you're my favorite player growing up, or, you know, you're my favorite manager. And that might be the first encounter I ever had with somebody from our culture. So Ozzy knows that he represents that and he has to, you know, carry himself in a positive way. I think that's more important than Ozzy. I think that for him, it's more important that that happened, that they respected him for what he did on the field and how he carried himself and managed than for him to get up on a podium and say, Hey guys, you know, like me because I am from X and X place. That's I think that's how he balances it out. Yeah, I think oh, I got a, no doubt. I got a I got a question for you. We we said a few sometime last year in like October, November when the Padres job opened up. I said it, I think I was the first one on here to say it. I would have loved to see your father get back into the game and manage the Padres. And you bring it up how, you know, your father calls it how he sees it spades a spade and a lot of players now are soft do you think he would have bowed well with a team like the Padres who a player like Tatis Jr. who you know phenomenal talent phenomenal talent one of the faces of baseball and you, you see him get like upset when Manny Machado gets in his face and yells at him or whatever it is do you think your father would have worked well there because I thought he would have personally oh I think Tatis would have been easier than a lot of guys that are younger because Ozzy knows his father, coached his father. Um, I think Ozzy would have known how to manage the son. Tatis Jr. is different. Tatis Jr. grew up around the game of baseball. It's just a different mindset. Kind of like a Ken Griffey Jr. 
you know, he, he's got swag and he's got his thing, but he's his years of maturity. He knows what he's doing. Um, he, he knew Manny Machado since Manny's been 11 years old, 10 years old, played on his travel team, known Manny for a very, very long time. Uh, Eric Cosmer. So, but Ozzy talked to all them. So actually exactly where I'm sitting right now is where actually where Ozzy had his interview. Um, and he did great. You know, the San Diego Padres organization uh, were very open-minded. Um, it was actually very refreshing to, uh, I was just sitting on the chair over there. It was refreshing to hear organizations talk about baseball. So often we're, when we're in the media and when we're on Twitter, everyone thinks that it's like, you know, fan graphs and, you know, what's this guy's like, you know, OPS and, and, and all these analytics stuff. There was guys there on the conversation, but they were like in the background and they let the, the decision makers, like kind of like the CEO, like they provide the information. These guys are talking baseball. It was guys that were, you know, on the call 25, 30 years in the game. You know, they had scouts and they were talking game. They were talking baseball. And, and I think that Ozzy is the manager of the Padres. I really do. Had Bob Melvin not pulled an Ozzy. So it's like what Ozzy pulled in, two, in 2012, Bob Melvin pulled it, you know, this year, last year. But no one talks about Bob Melvin because Bob Melvin, you know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't call him out like that in the media. Bob Melvin basically asked for another contract in Oakland, an extension, because he only he was a sitting duck with one year. And there's two teams – that are potentially big paydays, the Mets and obviously the Padres. And uh, Bob Melvin was smart and, and and the A's were were kind enough to say, hey, you know, go talk to a team. And, you know, when Bob Melvin comes into a, a, a competition, you know, even though Ozzy's a great baseball mind and a great baseball, you know, is a winner, even though Bob doesn't have a ring, it's hard turning down a guy that just came from managing, you know, that he literally just came from playoff teams. You're literally managing there. And I don't think money was an issue for them. So the 4.5 million, they were going to save themselves probably about 3 million with Ozzy. I don't think it was a big issue. They talked to Ozzy about staying on the coaching staff. Ozzy doesn't coach, not because he's not, that he's better than the game of baseball, but because he loves Chicago. He's got two grandkids and he really loves his job. Um, and it pays really well. Uh, probably better than coaching. <laughs> Major league baseball coaches don't get paid that much. But uh, if it had, had been another situation, um, Ozzy might have said, yeah, of course, absolutely. I'll, I'll definitely do it. But I think it was just like San Diego. But he was a right. He, they were a great, great fit. And I think, you know, that's going to be Bob's challenge. Um, Oakland's a very different place. OK. And Bob's going to be now he's dealing with real superstars. Oakland never had real superstars like guys that were like, I'm making 255 million, you know that's hard because even Ozzy, you know, like when Ozzy was with the White Sox, Ozzy was very lucky because the, his best players, he raised them. Okay. And then the guys that were like really, really big, like Frank, for example, played with him. Ken Griffey Jr. Knew him when he was a kid. So like all these big names, Jim Tomey played it. So all these big names, Ozzy really didn't have to deal. And, and that's why people laugh. Like there's like, a, oh, JPV hates him. Well, that's one guy or whatever. And it wasn't personal. Oh, Ozzy and Nick. Ozzy and Nick never had issues during the season until the playoffs when he didn't play him. Like, so he's like, so there wasn't like a lot of animosity when Ozzy went to the Marlins, that was like a big eye opener on like managing like egos and not in a bad way, but you had like an up and comer like Stanton, you know, who Ozzy had to build rapport with. They became good friends, but then you had guys like Hanley Ramirez and Jose Reyes who were like set in their ways. And it was hard for Ozzy because, you know, when you tell a guy, Hey, you got to do this, this, and this. And he says, well, I've been doing it 
this way for nine years of my career, it's really hard to argue with that because, you know, this guy's making X amount of money and you deal with it. You know, Ozzy wasn't very happy, a lot of piss off days at home, but that's why I think Bob Melvin's going to have that challenge of, of coming in and being able to deal with those big superstars. But Ozzy would have been a big fit, man. Whoever gets it is whoever manages that bullpen better. Um, it's a great job. It's a job that you really want, but it's a, it's like you can't have a lot of runaway job. So if Bob Melvin comes out and he's like 78 and you know 90 something, <laughs> like you suck. Um, but if he does well, they're going to say they made the right decision. Uh, I'm I'm happy that it was. Ozzy gets Ozzy only gets hurt when he gets beat by guys that he doesn't deem better than him. And when when Bob Melvin was named, he was like, "Damn, okay, like that's Bob Melvin." Because he was talking. It's funny, like these guys are all like in a group chat, like. My dad talks to Bochi, Leland. They're all talking like they're talking about getting like, like a little league coaching job. Like, oh, you, <laughs> you get, you know, it's so. <laughs> the White Sox situation, you know, Jerry called Ozzy and Ozzy was like, you know, they fired Ricky and we're like, Ozzy was like, okay, like, what do you want me to do? And he's like, well, we're not going to interview you. And he was like, okay, that's weird. And he told us, and we're like, damn, okay, and that's fine. That's respect, which is really nice. And they were like, you're not going to get mad about the guy we're going to bring in. We're like, bring in. A couple hours later, we find out it's 21. Like, damn, why would 21 to manage? You know, he really wants to manage. Like, there's no other incentive other than winning for him to come manage. Yeah, financial, right. right, Hall of Famer, you know. Yeah. He doesn't hate him. You know, it's not like his family, like, outed him and said, we hate you, Dad, and we don't want to see you ever again. He has a great relationship with his family. So, for him, we're like, he really wants to win. So, you know, root for Tony. But, again, so Ozzy was like, okay, I lost to Tony. I lost to, to Melbourne. And he loved the fact that he was interviewed again. That's where I think that he loved the fact that he was able to talk baseball because man, there's a lot of rumors out there. Like there's rumors, like you go to interviews like Anaheim a couple of years ago, made managers take a test. Yeah. Like my dad, like Ozzy's like, he's honest. He's like, he knows computers very little. <laughs> I got people that do that for me. He's like, I'm not going to take a test. I hated school, but baseball is my school. So he's like, I have you guys to give me that information. And I got to dissect that information. Like we talk ball strikes, averages, you know, I can see a ball and I can work with you. So it's funny because he said something really cool to him in the interview. He was like, they were like, Ozzy, what about analytics? He's like, what about it? He's like, do you believe it? He's like, I like analytics. There's ones that are really, really good. And there's ones that I think are bullshit. But he's like, why are you worried about me learning analytics? Don't you have a team that gives you the analytics? Like my job is like how to use that information. Like, I don't need to go find those analytics. And that's where I think that's where like coaching staffs and managers are different. Like I don't need a manager that knows how to break down launch angle. I really don't. I need a manager that can communicate with a player with that launch angle. No, correct. Like I need a manager. I'm going to be honest with you, man. We're in a White Sox podcast. I think the hardest thing that Tony had to do in the season. And I think that it cost him a game. And this is really hard saying this about Tony because I, I, I hold him to high reg- so, such a hard regard, but I also know the guy that he was going to have to pull and say, you're not going to pitch this game. The, the game won. Lance Lynn, in any metric, any metric, and I'll tell you why. So when I was a kid in 1993, I remember the, the series ending, and that's when I was really innocent to baseball. Just like everything's just like love and passion. My father always said, I'm never going to let what happened to Gene Lamont in 1993 when I become a manager. Oz used to say that he was going to be a manager all the time when we were growing up. And we're like, what does that mean? And he's like, they, Toronto Blue Jays used to kill Blackjack. And we all knew it. Okay. They had his pitches. He just sucked against them. 
So you like look up on baseball reference, like blackjack at his ass kicked, like in the season, like Toronto had his number. They beat him. They lose a series, you know, uh, Jason and Wilson, they pitch better. Blackjack opening day the next season gets his ass kicked by the Toronto Blues. So they this didn't match up well. White Sox go into the playoff series and Ozzy was like, everyone, the media marketing was like Mark Gurley's game one starter. And Ozzy's like, no, he's not. And Mark, the relationship that Mark and Ozzy had, and this is why he was so lucky to have Mark guys like Mark on his team. Mark was like, no, this is what we do. Like Contreras is the guy. I'm sorry to cut you off against against like the Red Sox, the Astros, or opening day, opening all oh, the okay, okay, okay. The World Series are setting up the rotation, and Mark was supposed to be the number one starter in everyone's eye, longest White Sox tenured, and the White and and they knew the staff, the coaching staff, and Ozzy knew that he wasn't the guy. They're going to go with the hottest pitcher. Like we have the best shot with Jose going game one and then setting him up. He also wanted to pitch Freddie on the road and and Mark. So he had, he had a plan, but he didn't let the emotions get to him. And people, we have articles of the media ripping him. Fans are like, oh, my God, why wouldn't it be Mark and all this nonsense? And Mark actually went to Contreras and said, I want you to know that you are you are worthy of this. Like, Because Contreras was like, Contreras was a very super serious guy. And he was like, I don't want to be the starter. Like, this is Mark's call. And he's like, Mark's like, no, like, you're the guy that you're the game one starter. Like, doesn't this, none of this, it matters unless we win. So the playoffs start White Sox. And I'm like, this is going to be hard. Cause Lance Lynn already had argued about that. He had to be the all-star game starter. Okay. That it wasn't Otani. And he made that big deal about that. And I said, if he doesn't game the, he doesn't get the game one ball. He's going to be very, very, very upset. And I think that that might've had some leverage on Tony's decision-making because I don't care in what analytical world you look at it, old school numbers, new school numbers, I test anything test. He's not the number one starter. You go Jolito, you go Rodon, you go anybody, but him, just the way they match up. It's not a great matchup. So like moments like that of him not being able to do that, that's when I want to have a manager to make those hard decisions and live with them and say, this is why I did it. Or this is why I did not do it because that's, that's easy. That's how simple a game could be won or lost. You go up to the mound and you have to take out a big name guy and he just looks at you and then your whole body leaves your, you know, your soul leaves your body. And you say, oh no, I'm going to leave him in. And you get starstruck. That's when managers, I think, matter in the big leagues the most, that you're going to have to make the decision that nobody wants to make. You telling Jose Abreu, hey dude, you need a break. You need to go DH for a couple of days and not play first because you need to rest. Or hey, you need to, just really hard conversations that no one wants to have with a super. So Bob Melvin's going to have to have it with Tatis and say, Hey, you need to take a couple of days off because your shoulder, like you're weak and you can't play 162 yet. So like, that's when you have to keep your healthy, just really hard conversations that you're going to have. That's where I think that I'd rather have a manager that is a great communicator across the team. Uh, and not somebody that's like analytical, like analytics, you know, we all have baseball. Reference. I'm just saying that we all have the information. And again, for some teams, it works. For other teams, it's different. Here's a part, though, that I, I, I critique. Everyone wants to jump on, like, what everyone else is doing, okay? And I actually like the way the White Sox built in that end because they kind of did it their own way. They're really good at international drafting, international signings. Like, they're really good at that. They, they're, they're good building. I like the way they build. They stuck to their ways. But everyone wants to be Tampa, okay? Oh, every, every fan's like, we got to be Tampa. It's like Tampa's one way because they're Tampa, Stop trying to copy them. So, like, I'll give you an example. Like, if I was the White Sox right now and I worked in the front office, 
I would be trying to find every single edge that I could on base running. Okay. Why? Because I got Tim Anderson who can steal 20 bases with his eyes closed. I got John Moncada, same boat, Pantera, same boat, Angle, same boat, Vaughn, not a bad runner. So you have a speed is the name of your game. So I would be like speed and defense to help my offense and my pitching. So I would be trying to find anything that I could find analytical to those advantages. And that's right. thing that you should use the numbers. Like no one should know what numbers you're using. That's why I think it's funny. Like teams like tell other teams, like, like Moneyball came out after the Oakland athletics were stopped, had stopped using that for years. Like, you don't want to tell everyone like your strategy, like, Oh guys, like, like Tampa, like, Oh, we're going to have an opener. Why are you telling people? <laughs> like, I'm like, this is my starter. And he, he goes more than five <laughs> or he might go one, but everyone like now the media is like, is he an opener? He's a guy who's going to start the game. I'm not going to let people know when I'm taking him out. So I think that's part of the strategy. But again, the media kind of gravitates to that. And the fans want to be like, it's like this new school versus old school. I had a guy tweet to me. Okay. That <laughs> Jake Berger had a higher defensive war than Larry's Garcia at second base. And that's, he should be considered and I said buddy that's the best tweet of the year like how can you prove it I said man I don't know what I I guess I can't prove it to you but Jake Berger is not better than Larry Garcia at any moment in their lives playing second base because had Jake Berger been a good second baseman he'd be playing second base with as much power as he has and I I don't want to say disgusting I don't want to say just second base I mean and no offense to Jake Berger I don't think Jake Berger is better defensively at any position Correct. than Garcia. The part, though, like they look at it, and I love yeah. the fact that Jake was doing double plays and, and practicing because when he comes up, he's going to have to be a utility guy, and there might be a time that he has to go play second for an emergency, and he wants to be prepared. But for him doing that to playing second base every single day at a major league baseball level is harder than playing third. It's not softball. These guys are not scared of how fast the ball is coming. The double play, the flip. The turn, second base is a weird position. You know how far, you know how many steps it takes you to go from the double play or when the catcher throws the ball to second, how fast you got to get to second? Why do you think Moncada wanted to play third? Because he's like, if I play third base, I get to chill, I get to gain 10 more pounds, and I get to focus more on hitting. Because all I got to do is go, go forward. Because at second, I literally have to be in every single play. And I don't want to be that, you know, focus at second. And he, I want to gain weight. But if I start gaining weight, I'm going to get affected defensively. So it's like all these things that happen that people like are so obsessed and they look at the numbers that you just can't go out there and just throw it and say, yeah, put, yeah, you could do it for one game. You know, in left field, when people are like Vaughn, I said, left field is not second base. And he played an amazing left field because he's a great baseball player. And if I put him at third, he'll do good at third and he'll look great for one inning and a couple games. But like every single day for a winning team is a very dangerous thing to do. No chance. No chance Andrew uh, Bond is starting at any other position besides uh, DH and maybe uh, first base when I mean, uh, old trusty needs some days. He might be the best defensive first baseman with all due respect to Abreu that the Sox have on the team right now. He's really good defensively. Yeah. First base, I, mean, I agree I, with that. He is. He is good I agree. defensively. I don't know if I agree with that. Because every I, time – I just think Every really- time Abreu's not out there, I could tell that Abreu's not out there. And he, it was mostly sheets last year. Vaughn didn't get too much run over at first base. 
But it was noticeable when Abreu's not there because he can make those pop-up plays down the line, got a good arm, um, makes some great throws. So I don't know. I used to be like Abreu at first is is better than the other guys that we got over there, in my opinion. I think that eventually, I think Andrew will will again. I think that Sheets they like them because of size. I don't think Sheets is better than Andrew at first base. Mm-hmm. Abreu's going to make it very hard for them because at his age he should be digressing defensively, and he has not. And he's not. He's getting better defensively. Technically, so it's like you can't say, "Well, when Abreu sucks, well, when when is he going to suck?" And by the time he sucks, he might no longer be a White Sox. So that's why I think the challenge is there. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, for them, because it'd be very easy if he was like just you know if he was Frank, like when they moved Frank from right, so Frank, they didn't want to be there. Like Frank was like, please get me out of here. Abreu's actually getting better to play the position. So if you have a good first baseman right now that produces like the way Abreu does, then I don't think Andrew will get the chance to develop at first right now. So he'll if he wants to be in the lineup, he's got to go to left, you know, right. And I you know, and I have this theory that they're going to go with with Sheets and Angle and Vaughn in the outfield. I don't think they signed our outfielder. But, again, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. You like Michael Conforto? I do. I do. I think that I think that you have to sign a piece if you want, like a, like a piece that you can take off and, you know, remove. I don't think that they should go and sign a long-term deal with anybody. Like, you got Colas that you signed. Like, you got all these prospects. You really don't know what you have in Sheets. You really don't know what you have in Vaughn. So, like, if you go out and sign a guy for, like, a five-year deal, okay, to play right field, then you better start moving a lot of those guys. The, the, the reason I like Marcus Simeon and people I, say – I was just, just going to say that. I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. I like them because – Tim Anders is only signed until 2024, okay? Do you guys see Tim Anderson getting – signing a, a friendly team deal for, like, a, for $50 million? No. no. Okay. PA is gone. So he's going to get paid, and he should. You know, worst contracts in Scottie Pippen. Like, Jerry got him. You know, the White Sox got him. They, they knew how good he was going to be, and they said, let's lock this guy in early. But he's going to get paid. So now if you lose if you lose Tim, okay, to free agency in a couple of years, and Moncada, which around the same time they both become free agents, Marcus Seaman becomes the, the, the shortstop or one of the main positions in the infield. So I thought that you had a chance to sign him and compete for the years that you have for running. Okay, while he develops and becomes the MVP caliber even more when Abreu leaves the team. And now you build between, now you have Simeon and Eloy, and you offer uh, Tim a contract. And if Tim turns it down, then you say, okay, we're not completely, you know, we don't have, we, we, have, we have a backup. Now, they better sign Tim. I agree because with that. Who comes agree, after, yeah. like, who comes, right now everyone's signing their shorts up, like, who comes after Tim? Like, look at the minor league system. There's nobody that you're like, oh, this guy's going to come and play. There's no Barry Larkin looming in the minor league system. So now you really have to make that deal work where you signed him to play short for the next seven years and, you know, ends his career with the White Sox. And then you see if you can extend Moncada. But you can only do that if you don't lock in a, a right fielder at $250 million because they already made a Grandal move. They already locked in a catcher, okay, for a couple of years. So you're done there. So you, you got to see people think that the Sox are going to have a $700 million payroll. That's not going to happen. So you got to be careful on like those moves. So like the Conforto I like, instead of start uh, signing Adam Angle, you sign Conforto. That's, that's, 
I had said a few months back an idea I had, and I think Mac kind of agreed with me. You had said like how TA's contract ends in 24. I think Mankata's 25, Grandal's 24. They're all around the same time. And maybe I'm in the minority. I know some people on here agree with me. I think we all agree. I think the White Sox window is like two, three years. I feel like you have to win in the next two, three years. TA is going to get paid, and you can't expect him to take less money, and he deserves every single dollar he's going to get, every single dollar. So I had brought up the idea when Simeon was still a free agent. I wasn't for giving him a, what he get, like six or seven years or whatever it was? Yes. Yeah, you would have gone, you gone short on a lot of money. Yes, I would have gone, I would have did okay. And again, I'm, I'm not Rick Hahn. They don't pay me money to make these decisions. It's not my money to play with. But I had an idea is if I see our windows two to three years, and let's try to win in that time, why don't we give Simeon like a three-year, 80 or $90 million deal? Yeah. I would have been fine I would have been fine giving him 25 to $30 million a year. And if that doesn't work, okay, he's a free agent. Moncada's a free agent. Grandal. Abreu's probably gone after three years. TA might be walking out. At that point, you try to build – you. I don't want to say blow it up, but you kind of retool around Eloy, around Avon, Sheets, Pantera, you know, because in, in two, three years, if you don't win a World Series, I mean, you're you're not you're not guaranteed anything. And what the White Sox are doing, I, I'm not saying go out there and make that big move, because I think they have a well put together roster, but there's other teams in the American League that are getting better. And we all know the AL Central is, is not good. I think it's slowly getting better. Not anything amazing, but it's getting better. So when you're playing these other teams, the competition's going to get better. If the White Sox were in the AL East last year, I don't know if they make the playoffs. They don't. They don't. I, I, I really don't. I think we only make the playoffs because we're in the AL Central. I see all these other teams around us getting better, and I see White Sox fans on Twitter saying, well, for the next five years, Guys, we're not guaranteed to win the division next year. Like that's why these opportunities and these chances are so small, you know. And I get I, I get on Mac a lot. Um, you know, we talk about two thousand five. Listen, say 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 what people want. You know, call lightning a bottle, whatever it is. Kenny no Williams in no fucking bottle. Kenny, Kenny Williams and your father went out there constructed a team. So, but here's, father, but, but here's the difference. We'll talk about lightning in a bottle. And this is where this is where people. This is when you bring a manager, you have to listen. And Kenny listened very well back then. In 2004, when the Sox got here, no one gives credit to the former manager, okay, who developed a lot of guys that – Jerry Manuel? Jerry Manuel. A lot of guys Ozzy, – Ozzy does not have the success that he has without Jerry Manuel, and this is why. Jerry Manuel kind of did the hard days with, like, Garland, Burley – you know, Rowan, Creedy, like those guys have been around the roster for a while. Okay. But his core, and when I talk about his core, Maglio, Carlos Lee, Valentin, Sandy Alomar, on paper, and again, on paper, they were an amazing team. They hit a lot of home runs. White Sox fans love a lot of home runs. Man, they love the long ball. Okay. And Ozzy, oh, we, know, we know Ken does. Yeah. So <laughs> go far, baby. <laughs> so, so, so Ozzy was there for that year, and, and the, the team was in a pennant race, okay? We were in the pennant race in the four, in 04, and, and the Twins beat them. And, 
that had a lot to do with Maglio and Frank being hurt, though, right? That's what that's what they thought. That's what they said. But yeah. as I said, we've you guys have missed the playoff every single year except 2000. Okay, with this with this team, and he said there's a lot of great players here, but this is not a team. We need to find a way to grind to win the division. Why? Your ticket to get into the World Series is winning the division. Winning the division, exactly. That's when you get that ticket, you got to go all in. And this is a mistake. So in 05, Ozzy said, I want to construct the best team possible. He gave Kenny a set of tools that he wanted for a second baseman. Kenny went and found that guy in Japan. Okay. They needed a catcher. He went and got one. They constructed that team, not necessarily to be World Series champions, but that team was constructed specifically to beat one team, the Minnesota Twins. Okay. From day one, he wanted someone like AJ. It was a mantra. We got to beat the Twins. It was about winning the division. Once you get into the playoffs, guys get hot. Anything can happen. Anything can happen. So here's my fear. Okay. And this is where I, I like, I hate being the Green Reaper. Okay. The COVID year. So the COVID year was like a wild card year for any team. Okay. There was teams that said, I'm not going to compete in this. That basically set out. They said, I'm not even, I don't care. Guys barely played. Guys were like, this is whatever. But for the teams that got into the playoffs, that White Sox team, okay, I really think that that team had that big, had they gotten Lynn, had they made a couple moves, that was such a weak, weird season, and they were so good. Okay, the White Sox were like, they were playing summer ball. White Sox usually in the summer, even on bad team years, they're hot. They could have gone really, really deep, and you don't know what happens. Okay? You kind of struck everybody. There's no scouting report on Pantera. People are like, who the hell is this guy? They got guys coming from the pen that they don't know how fast they throw. They're like, what the fuck? <laughs> you got, you know, you got Ricky kind of messing it up. One of the pen early didn't let the, the young pitch because they didn't have experience. Well, how do you think they gain experience? They gain it by pitching in playoffs. They, they, they basically fucked the pooch. Get out in the first round, you're out. Now comes the I, th- I thought they were a better team than Oakland, too. They were, they were in, every, in every facet of the game, I thought the White Sox were better than Oakland. In better ways, starting from the bat boy, the only thing Oakland had better than them <laughs> was the manager. The manager. Yep, I agree. Yeah. I wasn't sure about that in the series because the team was so good, but Ricky unraveled himself so much. The first move Ricky did that I was like, oh, my God, this guy's in trouble, is when he pinched it for Edwin Encarnacion with Zach Collins. I said, oh, God. This, this I just, did, too. I was like, fine. That, that was in the playoffs, correct? I, I, that was the first move that I said, oh, God, this guy wants to get fired. See, mine was before the playoffs was the series. I, I think it was the second to last series of the year in Cleveland. Yeah, Cleveland. When he brought in the open. But yes, that's, yeah. that's when I sat there and I'm like, okay, Ricky, I don't care if we win, if we win the division. How, Ricky has to go. Well, it became he has to go. In that moment, I knew why the Cubs said we want another manager, not him, is because you can be, you might not be the best manager, but you can be a guy that doesn't mess it up. And he just became a liability. So, again, he was a guy that was loved by his players, always had his clubhouse. So it was never an issue about that. It actually became an X is a no issue. So he doesn't go and get it. They go into the playoffs last year, I think, really, really hyped up on a lot of marketing, okay, because when you went and you looked and you broke down the numbers, you said, oh, my God, a lot of big wins against American League Central. When they would play other really good teams, 
They didn't play well. Guys were hurt. They didn't really have played for a long time together. Their biggest game, they couldn't win a game after that, was the, the, the Yankees game, which they actually came back from because they blew that game. Okay? So you start to see these things of, like, inconsistencies of, you know, the Germinators, the freaking hero the first month. You're like, what the – what is going on? Like, just random things that are not, like, consistent. The bullpen is struggling, which should be good. So just really weird stuff that's happening. Okay? They get in the playoffs – we know what happens. Better team. People are, you know, blaming everything, but the fact that Houston was a better team. Take them out. Okay. This is next season is probably the only year that the division is guaranteed for one more year. Okay. Last year, there was no competition for them, which I think hurt them because I think they kind of just cruised in. And I think that they didn't, they didn't have like this, just like this be desperation to like fight for the division. I think that usually helps out a lot of teams. But the fact that people think that they're going to go out and win the division for the next five years in a row, that is very hard to do in the American League Central. Okay, they're very lucky right now that they have all these new rules of like wild card, expanded playoffs, all this like, you know, stuff that they have, all this like baby stuff. Because the Sox in ninety in two thousand six won like ninety one ninety two games and missed the playoffs. Yeah, ninety two games. So that can happen. And, and then in in in, uh, in two thousand seven, there's like five injuries to the lineup, and then you just like tank it. They, they lost like hundred games that year, right? Or almost, not not quite. They lost. I think lost ninety two games. Yeah. And, the, and by the way, that that roster is the same. There's just a lot of injuries. Okay. Mm-hmm. A lot of guys go down, and you're like, oh my god, and like it just goes down. To, so. Oh, wait, you come back, but you're not as strong. So, like, this thing of, like, windows, and I don't know where this concept came from of, like, my windows this much, and my windows this much. It's marketing. So, I, I already said, so, like, I think technically we're in rebuild 2.0 already. They won't tell you that, but they already rebuilt once. They just didn't tell you about it. When they brought in and they traded and they brought in Zamarja and they brought in Melky and they did all that and they got rid of them, that was the first rebuild. Mm-hmm. It's Ozzy in the 2008 playoffs. They broke that team down and kind of like put it together with glue and they try to go for it in 11 and then Ozzy left. That whole team got changed. And then in 12, they kind of brought it up. But then all that team left in 13. That was the first rebuild. And then they rebuilt it again with Chris Sales trade. And they're in that rebuild right now. So in three years, okay, winning the World Series is the goal. It's, 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 it's not a guarantee. It's not. It's not. And I think that that window, though, of those three years, and that's why that Marcus Simeon was so interesting and intriguing, was like those are like three prime years of guys that you know are in their prime that they're going to produce and, like, you can go for it. Because I'm not thinking, like, even with Tony, like, if my manager was, like, 29 years old, I'm like, you know, this guy's going to be – like, I'm thinking, like, I'm Tony's thinking I'm winning next year. Like, I'm winning the year after. Like, Tony's not thinking, like, Three years from now, a Braves not thinking three years from exactly. now. Yeah. They're thinking like, I gotta win now. Mm-hmm. So so that's the part where I think that the 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 difference is like in a, in, in in the window. Cause I think that the for example, the Tigers are a couple signings away. I've from, been saying that for three months. Being really, really annoying. The Royals are a couple pitchers away from being scary. And if the if the if the Guardians could hit, they probably would have won the division. Because their pitching was that good. So, again, I think that this guaranteed of you're going to go in, you need to make the playoffs first, and then once you're in the playoffs, 
you need to find a way, okay, to grow up in the playoffs. In the playoffs, you got to grow up. You can't – and I think the only guy that, is, that can look back and say, well, guys, I hit was Tim Anderson. Tim Every, Anderson. Everybody. I mean, Abreu uh, Abreu had a pretty decent series. I mean, if you look yeah, at the numbers, at it, but again, that's when you got to look yourself in, in as, as a as a as a as a team, okay? And in baseball, I say you can't point fingers. Well, you can, okay? And you got to <laughs> you can. So you got all these big game pitchers, you know, bulldogs, and they scream to themselves, and the uh, <laughs> they pump and. <laughs> And then you don't go more than five innings. I agree with you there. I agree. But I think in the playoffs, Junior, I think Robert played well. Abreu played well. Tim Anderson played well. All the hitters. Yeah. None of the pitchers. Yeah, none of the 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 pitchers pitchers showed up. But I think that's another thing. I think White Sox fans is overrating Giolito. I don't think Giolito is an ace. I personally don't like Giolito's mindset. For him to be even be thought about as ace. Now, he could be a nice guy and all that. That's fine. But I lost respect for him once he threw his coach under the bus, his manager under the bus, in the Detroit uh, series, I think it was against. He said, when he said, so this is the part, okay, so this is where I, I, I have fun and I like roasting White Sox fans, okay? Damn. I, no, I just do. Okay, so I said I, I really liked the, 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 the pitching coach comes with a great experience preparing guys to do great things he did with that with when he was in high school he did that like through his career that's all great okay it's like you're you're preparing a great singer but has he ever sang in front of a hundred thousand people that's the difference okay i my worry was that when the game started okay there's things that you have to do as a pitching coach here comes the communication part that you need to be able to be on top of. And I thought that that might be his Achilles heel, meaning he's going to need some time to learn. I never thought that the person that was going to expose him on that was the guy that he coached since high school. Okay. Right. I thought it would be, I thought it would be, I was, I thought it was going to be Keiko. I was like, Keiko's going to throw this kid under the bus and say, Keiko's going to get hit around. And he's going to throw it up, throw the, the young pitching coach under the bus and said, well, I was gassed out and he didn't know about it. Okay. But it was Jolito. So that what I didn't like about that, th- that happens in all good – and that happens in bad teams and good teams that happen with Ozzy, okay, that happened to Don Cooper. If they say otherwise, they'd be lying to you. That's happened to all managers, good ones, bad ones. It happens, okay? The difference is if you're going to let your team keep it in-house, okay? And the White Sox, for some reason, they let everything get out. And then they say, well, we're a family. It's like, whoa, 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 what do you mean? Like, you let it out and now you're like, oh, like, you know, you say, oh, we're with Germinator. And then like, oh, yeah, he's chicken punish. And then you got TA on Twitter saying, we ride with you, Germinator. Swing 3-0 on a guy that's not a, a position player up by 19 runs. Like that, you're just, your messaging is wrong. So with the Giolito, I didn't like that from him. And then the next part, in that aspect, I just thought that, you know, I felt bad for the pitching coach because it's like, we, if you're in baseball, you kind of know that he might have left him too long, but you didn't have to like go and like let everybody know, no. And then the one that, uh, if you're not a tough guy, I always said this in life, you don't have to be a tough guy. Okay. You just be you. Um, Good point. he tried to, be a, he tried to be a tough guy. Okay. 
and try to talk about Donaldson. And then we mm-hmm. find out Donaldson got off the bus, went into him with his entourage, talked smack about him, and nothing happened. Now guys in the clubhouse are like, oh, dude, you're all talk. And then the whole league is obviously saying that. So I'm getting text messages like, ah, this guy's a clown. What do you, this is awesome. Oh, Donaldson. So that, and again, I know people that are like the woke people that don't, that only believe in numbers. This is like, this is like in the baseball world that gives other guys an edge. Cause now every guy is like, oh dude, like this guy's not going to do anything. Again, competitive edge, that sort of thing. Like I, I, I attested to maturity and like, they're going to get better at that. And he's going to be like his own guy. And I think Tim Anderson's probably the guy that's gone, who's matured the most out of that team in the past three years, like maturity wise on the field and kind of like, he keeps getting better, but I'm hoping that guys like Jody, like don't believe the hype. Like, like Jolito in his mind, all the fans can be saying, Jolito, you're great. You're great. You're great. But he's got to look in the mirror and say, yeah, I'm good. And I'm probably going to get paid, but am I really great? Okay. That's the competitiveness of but, like, I'm looking at those guys to get and tap in. He, he don't have that killer mentality. <laughs> That he was talking about before the season. I mean, Matt Scherzer. When you look at Matt Scherzer, do you look? Do you when you look into his eyes? Which one? Both of them. And Max, that's what I'm saying. Do you think <laughs> when you get Chris Sale, okay, and this is where people were like, got Chris Sale wrong, okay, because Chris had a couple issues, the the jersey issue, and people thought that he was mad and he hit Victor Martinez. All these things in the White Sox world. He just want to win. He just want to win. Correct. Chris had one thing and that's like that's that's what i mean about an ace mentality of like it doesn't matter where you're at in the rotation is your job is to go out there every single five days and you're gonna go out and just do what you gotta do guys there's a couple guys on the sides that have that copac for one he's i think he has that i don't know about he's gonna figure other stuff out i think that when he is focused he has got one purpose and one purpose only he wants to get out so you need to tap into that and really make it happen. Not marketing, not Twitter, not anything like really make it. Because Giolito, Giolito sees Ronaldo Lopez have an opportunity. I'll throw Kopech in there to make so much money. Okay. They're like, they have an opportunity to just blow up the bank because their natural God gift of talent. Okay. On what they have on the baseball is so much higher than guys like Marcus Stroman and, you know, I even think Bauer for some of these guys, like, that are that got paid. Guys that have gotten paid. Like, they can live – their natural God-given ability of throwing the ball could be that much better than those guys if they figure it out. And if that happens, I think the White Sox will win more games. So their potential is astronomical. I think you we said, leaving one guy out, though. I think Moncada has to step uh, up. I mean, I'll get to him man. in a second because I want to talk about him too. But I have, I have, a, I have a question he about gotta step about, up. about Giolito. You said like you said like you have to look in the mirror and realize like okay, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna get this paycheck eventually, um, but I have to realize what I am. Do you think it's hard, and not just for baseball players, not Giolito? You think it's hard for professional athletes when they get to that top tier, like the show, the association with the NBA, the NFL you know, whatever it is, don't you think it's hard? And maybe it's just me. Do you think it's a little hard to kind of accept the fact that maybe I'm not that good when you've been told your whole life you are the best, and then you get to that point where it might be hard to grasp that, like, okay, maybe I'm not the best, that there's other animals out there that are better than me. You think that's hard for an athlete to... Oh, I think, 
I think it's it's hard, but I think that that's when you dig in deep. So the great ones, okay, the guys that compete and find ways to win, they're never at 100%. Don Cooper, guys would come in. I learned a lot, a lot from Don Cooper, meaning like the way he would talk to pitchers, a great psychological pitching coach, like getting to get to guys' heads. Not a lot of mechanic stuff, just making guys believe. They'd come in and they, Ozzy would say, what does he have today? And he'd say, you know, game four of the World Series said, we won't need anybody till the eighth inning with Freddie. Like, he's on. And then he would say, what about the bullpen? Like, second inning, okay? And then you would see the pitching coach say that, and then you would see a guy like Burley, Garland, Fred, just any pitcher, and grind their way through, okay? Like, not feel for their fastball that day and, like, say, fuck it, I'm going change up and start getting outs. And you see them compete. And then you see guys in the dugout like fuck this guy has nothing today and he is grinding and that's when the the, the clubhouse says man our starter is really going at it today like we need to you know we need to pull for it it's easy when it's easy to win when you're facing uh, you know you're facing kansas city the pirates and you're throwing 101 and your slider is nasty and you're striking everybody out that's easy that's like you know you're doing the you're showing off and you're gonna get a couple games like that hard is when you don't have that hundred percent stuff. You can know why? Because usually in the playoffs, you're not going to be at a hundred percent. Something's going to bother you. Your ass hurts. You know, you're tired. Like if you're not at a hundred percent. So it's like when you're boxing, it's easy to fight rounds one through three, the real champs. When, once you pass a fifth, six, seven, eighth round, like you're literally fighting like out of like your heart, like your gut. That's when pitchers, when you have to dig deep, that's what Giolito needs to figure out on. Like, how can I be a great pitcher when my shit's not working? Like, see, if Dylan Cease is on 100% of the time, best pitcher in baseball. If he one thing goes, has said them one thing times goes wrong for Cease, and that's my boy, wrong thing goes off for Cease, the wind shifts the wrong way. Someone, <laughs> someone in the stands ate a hot dog in the wrong moment when Cease looked. Anything. He, there's so many things. And I watched the playoff game, and after that first inning, I said, oh, he's got it. And I'm, then I was like, oh, just keep it. Because, but he's so, he's such a, he's so in that way, he's so dangerous that he like unravels and it just, he can't figure it out. Like I would literally, if, if I could get a coach from, I'd be like, you need to get Mark Burley to be like Caesar's personal coach or like a Freddie Garcia of like how not to give an F when you're pitching. Like, dude, just go up there, throw, like, just don't overthink it. Cause that, I think that would really help him out. But when you're looking at pitching, that's what I think. I think they have the talent. And I don't think they're ever going to say, I don't think I'm good enough. I think that for them, what worries me, they've already made it. They're going to be more successful than 90% of the guys that are ever going to throw a baseball in their life. But to, for them to get to that next level of literally becoming a Cy Young or flirting with like, you know, the big wins and getting their team to win and get deep in the postseason and eventually win a championship, they still have that growth to happen. And that's got to come from within them because they're already like, you already got, that's the hardest part when you already got, and we can talk about this about Moncada. When Moncada got paid, I said, there's two types of guys that get paid. Okay. There's guys that get paid like Jose Contreras, who like, if they don't play well, want to return their money and cry because they're so ashamed of themselves. And they feel like they let the team down in the club and they're weird and they want to give their money back. I think that's, <laughs> you know, and then there's guys that don't care. There's guys that are like, this is my job. And like, they deal with it. Okay. That's guys that you pay. That's where you have to figure out 
who is those guys that really, really want to win. Okay. And that's why in 2004, Ozzy got rid of certain guys and kept Paul Konerko and brought guys like Jermaine Dye because those were guys that were already in their career, like JD, that already had made money, but he knew this guy would win. You know what the first thing Ozzy said about Adam Dunn? And I thought Adam Dunn was a great sign because of his numbers. And this is where I, I have to listen to Ozzy sometimes. He said, Adam's always been a loser. He's always been a loser. He's never won anywhere. He's a loser. And he would tell Adam this to his face. And they brought him and he'd be like, what's up, loser? Ozzy didn't tell me. He loved Tommy, but he's like, Tommy, how is Tommy going to tell me about winning? He's never won anywhere. <laughs> but like, how is Tommy going to tell me about winning when he hasn't won? So like, those are things that like from a building of a team that now that I'm like older, I'm like, damn, that kind of was like, make, cause I'd be like, you're nuts. Like Jim told me like, come on. But like, is he really like a winner mentality? Like, is he is somebody that says, you know what? Let's do this. Like I can go over 55 and we're still going to be able to grind. Like those are the types of guys that get it there. Cause these guys have all gotten paid when you tap into that. Okay. And you're still producing and two, two things can happen. Like going back to Jimmy, I saw Jim told me do things from 500 to 600 home runs that he didn't have to do. This guy's got a beautiful, hot wife, amazing kids, super rich. And he's showing up to the stadium at 10 AM to work on his back, to have four at bats to potentially hit a home run. Okay. To get to 600. That's like personal game. Miguel Cabrera right now, shady team, last place, guys on one leg, you know, 500 home runs, 3,000 hits. That's his drive. Now, there's guys mm-hmm. on the team that have gotten paid that you're either playing for a contract, for like your next contract, or you're paying because you just want to be the best. And that's where, you know, guys with Tim Anderson, people say, oh, Tim just wants to win. I said, nope, he wants to win. Yes, maybe, but he also wants to get paid. And he deserves it. Oh, no, I'm saying, though, he whatever Tim does right now is own. It means they're, they're, he's got the clock on him. Whatever he does now is how, what he's going to make money later. That's the opposite of Moncada because Moncada, my worry is, and I'm boys with him and I've asked him and I said, are you playing for another contract? Or what do you mean? I said, are you going to retire early? Cause in my mentality, if I was his age, I'm like, I'm playing so good that when I hit that, that 33 mark, I'm like Nelson Cruz and they're saying like, oh man. And then some dumb team is going to give me a hundred million because I've been so good that some idiot team is going to go out and pay me. And then I'm like, oh, whatever, you know, then I burn out and it is what it is. But like right now his age, I think even without him hitting 30 home runs, which I don't think that he is that guy. Okay. I think that he could be better. I think 2019 Moncada is the Moncada that we need. Okay. Um, Get on base hit on both sides, put the ball in play. Don't worry about the home runs. He could be Joe Creedy. I'll give you this much. People have this weird obsession that they think Joe Creedy and, and, and Robin Ventura were home run hitters. <clears throat> Robin Ventura hit 30 home runs, I think, one time with the White Sox, if that. I don't think Joe did. You guys can look. At, I, I Like, they're not. Joe, think, hit, think, Joe yeah. hit 30 in 05. One year. It was 06. It was 06 because he went to the All-Star year. game that year. After being in the league for like eight years. So, like, you can be great and not hit 30, but his defense was, like, off the charts. So I think Moncada has to be a better player overall and let and people need to stop worrying about the home runs. I think last year was very low for him home run-wise, and I think he did that because he didn't want to hit 210. But they need to talk to him and say, and this is where a hitting coach and a coach needs to talk to him and say, okay, do you think because you're, that you're swinging too hard for home runs that your, your numbers are dropping down in the average and that's what you're worried about? 
then maybe you should walk more and kind of figure it out with him of where he needs to be because he needs to hit 20 home runs. That's like his, like his, like his, I need to get here is like 20 home runs. When people talk about like the problems at second base, I'm like, if Larry hits 15, you're like, Larry's been the starting lineup every year since 2018. I'm not worried about Larry's numbers. Like whatever he brings, it's gravy to the table, but I need Moncada to hit like 20. I had Pantera to hit 20. Like you have numbers that you have to hit. And last year he was below that. And I really think that he was, he played under his bar, but if you get Moncada from 2019, I think that that's a decent year. Do I think he's going to be an MVP? I hope he is because he's my boy. I thought that he was going to be after the 2019 season and he had a horrible 2020, you know, that, you know, short run, but again, COVID season. But then last year, I think that he fell short of, of his goals. Again, we'll see this year. But does he have the potential? Absolutely. But do I, I, I don't have him down for 30 home runs. I, I have Eloy down for 30 home runs and 100 RBIs. Like, if Eloy doesn't hit that, I think that he had a bad year. And same thing with Abreu. But I don't have Moncada there yet. I have him 20, him and Tim Anderson. And, like, I got Tim, like, a 15. I'm looking at Makata's numbers. And in 2019... You know, he hit 315 too, and he hit 25 homers, 34 doubles. Like, he had a big year. That's and last year. year, everything fell. Like, the average was only 263. So, even if he wasn't trying to hit home runs, that average wasn't where it was right. two years so it was ago. Like, it, was like an overall, it was like an overall disappointment. Again, fans get caught up, and he had a really good first half. Um, but I think also, like, the lineup construction, like, I really love my lineup would be Tim Anderson on the top. Even though I thought three years ago that he shouldn't be the leadoff hitter, he's he earned that spot, like Ricky Henderson. Weirdest mm-hmm. leadoff hitter ever, but he's earned that spot. Moncada. I agree with that. Pantera. I agree. Those three guys and Pantera. Then I'd go yeah. up Ray, Eloy, Grandal, and whoever you guys want to put in. So you have Robert betting third. I had Robert hitting third, and this is why. Robert's a natural hitter. Mm-hmm. Like Miguel Cabrera, Frank Thomas, like he's got talent that you need to. I want to see if if Robert could be as good as Tatis, as good as uh, um, the Venezuelan kid, Ronald Acuna, as good as Soto. They've been given that shot. I don't want to see him in seven. So I think that early on in the season, especially with this team, since they're not playing a lot of competitiveness, I want to see you hit third. And this is why. And people that do analytics will argue against this. The reason that the White Sox were so good in early season with guys on the top that could run. If you run well, idiot catchers call more fastballs. Okay? You're going to see a lot more straight pitches. Pantera can handle the bat really, really well. He can get a base hit or he can go deep. If you have those three guys on top of the order, that speed kills. They're all scoring with a base hit. Hey, I agree with that. Let the church sure. say amen. 20 bases each. If each guy steals 20 bases and gets in running and scoring position for Abreu, Grandal, and Eloy, whichever combination you want to put of those, you're driving in those runs. So you need to put those, you need to put them in situations to drive runs in. And I think by having those three guys and just saying this is the starting lineup and this is it, and just ride with it and see what you get. Cause I want to see what they have in Pantera. I want to see if he's going to be. Like, if he could be that third hitter, because then eventually it's going to be Pantera Eloy. Mm-hmm. That's going to be, that's that, you need to figure that out sooner than later. But I think if you have those three guys, and again, when I talk about speed, I think that those guys all get better pitches to hit. 
because now they get better sequence because now if you got Moncada there and you got Pantera back, you don't want to walk anybody. So if you don't want to walk somebody because you don't want to face Pantera with two guys on or one guy on, you're going to get better pitches to hit. I think Moncada's a good eye. You know, Tim got a good, you know, his eyes gotten a lot better. But I think that then you got, you know, three, four, five, you worry about that second part of the lineup. But I really, really, really think that that's the, that's how I would have it. And then again, Larry will be, you know, hitting eighth, ninth. Then you got like call, you know, whatever the hell you want to put back there. Angle, you know, anybody, anyone in the back is, is like, okay, you, you got it. But I think that that those top three guys, that's where the production is going to be. I really would like to see that. Like, I think those guys can be very, 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 very dangerous. Not just because of the change and the swag and the marketing people say, <laughs> I just say, hey, you guys need to show this on the field. Like, just run over everybody. Because you change. If, if Tony La Russa goes and runs the first two weeks of spring training, and in the first game, they, everybody just runs, everybody's game plan on the other side changes. They say, oh, my God, everyone on the White Sox runs. They change their whole game plan. They pitch differently. Right. Oh, you got to change the other team's plan. And then you're like, oh, you know what? We don't run. Now it's your show. Right. Now you're like, oh, crap. You, you talked about a winning mentality with Chris Sale and some of the other players you brought up. My thing with you on Moncada, since you know him, you can answer this better than anybody. Do he have that type of winner's mentality? Because you look at how Robert played the game, and you look at how Moncada played the game, you see just a totally different uh, picture. You see one guy busting his ass, going hard all the time, trying to maximize his talent. And it seems like yo uh, Moncada, on the other hand, he's not maximizing his talent. So is my perception wrong? No, I think that that happens a lot with guys that have that style of play. Moncada is all about he makes everything look easy, okay? Uh, kind of like Andrew Jones. You know, they rub, they rub you the wrong way because even when he strikes out, he looks good. Chicago loves hard-nosed guys. Ozzie Guillen, Aaron Rowan, who, by the way, worst player in the 2005 White Sox team. But, <laughs> Damn. You know, what? Wow. Look at Look up, look up the stats, guys. Look up the year. Look up the stats. Look at the 2005 team. But if you ask any White Sox fan, they think they they tell you that Rowan was a, the MVP. Same thing with my father. Okay? White Sox fans loved Ozzy because he was a guy that left it on the field. White Sox fans love Tim Anderson because Tim does the, ah, and he does the finger thing. and you know. He, but then when he doesn't hit, he don't do no finger things. He doesn't do any of that. Moncada is always the same. Like, ah, you know, grabs the bat. Moncada's like Paul PK that doesn't produce. PK is like, you didn't even know that he was there. And, I, and again, I think their styles are different. Abreu, even though he's slow, he's got that grimy look, you know, the tobacco. And, you know, I'm just going to get you with my old man strength. And I'm going to do dumb things like go to home plate when I'm not supposed to. Like, <laughs> you get hurt. I think Moncada is not about winning. I think that for him, it's like he wants to win. But he's like, ah, eh, I think he needs to. I think for him, it's got to be a decision of like, if he wants to be great, don't worry what they, they, the marketing people talk about Tim. Because he has, he has every tool to be great. That's what I'm saying, though, if you want to be great, like Moncada has a chance to, we always joke around with his music. Like <laughs> I said, Hey, you want to make, you want to be amazing at music, be like an MVP in baseball. Everybody going to think your music's awesome. Even if your yeah. music, you know, like if you win, people are going to think you're amazing. Like White Sox players are like marketing and like I want to be like they say we want us they want they we want them to talk about us more than the than the Cubs. It's like well good luck we want a World Series and they still didn't talk about it. But you earn that. 
to even potential. Like you can't say I'm the best player. You just go ahead and do it. That's the difference. Like Moncada needs to like worry about like what Joan Moncada has to do. Okay. And get the most out of Joan Moncada. They can't worry about what Tim's doing. Can't worry about what Grandal's doing. Can't worry about what anybody else is doing. Worry about Moncada and be like, I'm going to have the best year for me. And like his standards for himself have to be higher than anyone else. And I think that's something that when you have that, that desire and you want that for yourself, that then goes to the team. So some guys put the team before them. Good for them. That's awesome. I mean, Kana should be putting himself before the team. He's got to feed a family. He's got, that's his job. So I want him to, to like grind it out in that end, but he cares, man. He, and he needs to get tough. Like he needs to stop being soft. I tell him all the time, grow up. (laughs) Players. I, I hate this. I'm going to the DL for 15 days because my hamstring hurts. Like, dude, is it pulled? Like, literally. And be smart about it. Like, if your hamstring starts getting tight one day, take a day off. Say, hey, I got a DH. But don't take these hiatuses of, like, 15, 20 games because unless you're really hurt, because that hurts you. And that's where I want out for him. And I tell him all the time, yo, you got to get tough. Like, you got to be on the field. Like, if you're not on the field, the team is not as good. Like you're you're one of the key people. Like I don't care how much people love bench players. You know they're fun, they're quirky. You get excited, but like you want to have your core guys for as many games as possible. So for him, it's like in basketball, it's like stamina. The more you play during the season, the stronger you're going to be at the end. Is it weird? Yes. But if like you lay around all year long and you don't play hard, then it's going to get really hard to play October, September, October. November, it's going to get really, really hard. So you're preparing yourself to that and playing the grind. So for him, I think it's a year of personality of like, I, it's kind of like the Giolito of offense. Like he needs to like really go in because if those guys are average, they're better than half of the league. Like that's how right. good, like they show up and they're like, ah, like I, Giolito's like, I showed up. I'm going to have an ERA under four and I'm going to probably win 13 games. Like that's, you know, this is what I bring to the table. It is what it is. Moncada, same thing. I'm probably going to hit about 12, 13 home runs you know, hit 260, I just showed up. That's the, that's the, the difference. They're both very similar when it comes to that, of like grinding it out. They make it look very easy. I got a question for you, Oz. Um, what do you think of uh, Grandel behind the plate? Do you think him catching had a little bit of effect on the pitchers? Because to me, with his knee and his defense, I don't know if they were throwing Liability. pitchers that they wanted to throw in that last series against Houston. It seemed to me like they were getting beat on a fastball an awful lot that series. You know what? I I gave Grandal a lot of credit for coming back as soon as he did. <clears throat> I didn't think that he was going to come back at all. Um, mm-hmm. When I saw him running, I said, damn. Again, he got paid. He has no need to be doing that, to be honest. Um, but he did. Right. He wants to catch, okay? And – he got paid to be a catcher. I don't believe in the whole framing BS stuff. Mm-hmm. Me neither. Um, I think it's good pitchers means good framing. But I think that if he wants to be there, I think that his catching wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Um, at times, again, the White Sox staff is not an easy staff to catch, especially the guys that are coming from the bullpen. Very, very nasty. Sure. Um, hard for any, any catcher period. But I think that for him, this – off season, this going into spring training, one of the things that I'm looking at him is how healthy is he knee wise. Grandal, 
Grandal's been doing what Grandal does forever offensively. So he'll take his 700,000 walks. He'll put the ball in play and, you know, hit 30 doubles and hit a bunch of bombs for a catcher. But for him catching now, I want to see how healthy he is and, like, his reaction to blocking, you know, playing consecutive games together and being able to stay healthy. That's where I'm watching him. That's why I think that the backup catcher role might be a little bit more important than people think it is. Yeah, I think it's very important. I was I, – I wanted uh, – I wanted the guy that the Tigers got, Barnhart. Yeah, so did I. Reds. So, did I. Yep. Yeah. Reds. so I think that that's not a position that you can say, okay, give it to Collins, give it to Sebi, like give it to anybody. Hell I, I, I no. No, I don't like Because that. I, I, th- I think you got to look at Collins and Sebi and be like, and, and no disrespect to them, be like, are these guys even any better than a beat up ground doll behind the plate? Because oh, I, I don't think they are. So you got to decide and say, you usually give one or the other. So, like, if your main catcher is a really, really good offensive catcher, AJ Brzezinski, okay, Carol, uh, Carlton Fisk, your backup guy is, like, an amazing defensive catcher, mm-hmm. okay? Carron Karkovais, you know, um, Castro, Widger, and it's the opposite. If you have a guy that's, like, a really good starting catcher defensively that you're not going to replace in the eighth inning defensively, like a Yair Molina – which is a Hall of Famer type of conversation. You bring someone that's like gives you a better bat, a Caratini type of guy. So the White Sox really need to look into that because I love I love when Grandal takes days off and he just DHs. Yeah, same. Just because I think it takes the pressure off of him. You know, I think that when you catch, he just takes a grind on you. I think that he's also here for a while. But you try to keep him as healthy as possible. And if taking him away from the plate um, gives you that opportunity, then that's where you go. I think if you don't sign a right fielder um, and your Grandal can become the DH eventually, you know, as the years go by, then you could sign another catcher or develop one, which I think at this point, I don't think that the guys they have there are like everyday baseball or everyday catchers. They've been given that shot. They've proven that they couldn't handle it every day for a winning team in a pennant race. But I, te- I definitely think that his health is the number one factor. I think that he is healthy. He should be behind the plate. Um, again, you're not going to get a Pudge Rodriguez behind the plate, you know, in every catcher. But I think that he wasn't as bad. And again, people compare about, you know, his framing. For me, his thing is the blocking. And it's, right. it's been an issue that he's had forever. But I think he got better at it. But I think that it's, you know, the the fact that he's going to be the man. I think that he has great leadership, meaning commanding the game. Like, you could tell that he is the catcher. But for me, it's the blocking. Is he going to get that much better at this point in his career? Probably not. But I don't think he's going to get worse unless there's injury. And then if that's the case, then... How do we start making the transition again, that two, three year window? You know, yeah, and I, I'm thinking about like, you know, he had two knee surgeries now in what, at, five months. I don't want him at first base. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm, I, I always think Toby Hall, Ozzy Gian, and Joy Cora thinking that Toby Hall at first base was a great idea in spring training because he needed repetition <laughs> and Toby dislocated his shoulder. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't want Grandal at first because he, his investment, it's a lot of money invested in him. Yeah, okay. I was with you on the DH part. Um, when, you invest, when they invest, so this is a question that everyone says Ray Khan's a genius, and he might be. I don't know. He's a great money. I don't, I don't great believe so. Money. I'm going to say this right now. I've been in those conversations. <laughs> I'm going to say this right now. I've been in conversations with those guys. I've been around them talking about baseball. Okay. The Chicago fans don't give a fair share to Kenny Williams. This is coming from again. Thank you. Great baseball mind. Let the church okay. say amen. Stubborn, is he stubborn amen. as man? Stubborn as hell, and it takes somebody more stubborn than him to sometimes get points through. Absolutely. 
But baseball wise, baseball wise, he falls in love with everyone's got their Achilles. He loves, you know, guys that were better 10 years before and like, you know, the Griffies and guys that you always want to have on your team. Everybody has that. But I think baseball development, baseball mind, okay, I think that he is very, very good. Okay. Development player, this guy's gonna develop this guy. I think he's very, very good. Rick Khan, on the other hand, I think that his strong point, this is my opinion, is contracts. Sure. He's really, really good at like putting deals together. And we you see what he did, like signing all those guys, you know, other people might think that he's evil. If you're a white, <laughs> he's really good. But I see him as a very good money guy. I don't see him like well, this guy's going to develop and his bat ain't, I don't see him as like an expert. I'm saying he doesn't, I'm not saying he doesn't know that. I just don't think that that's his forte. So those guys, I like the fact that they balance that out. And most people think, oh, who's the boss and who's this? Like, no, they both bring something really, really good to the table. So I've seen these guys work together, you know, like I've seen them talking, like sign this and can we afford them? Like I've heard the conversation. So two guys that know what they're doing. So when they signed Grandal, my question would be to them, if I, if I could ask them and I say, okay, if we were in a conversation, I said, why did you sign Grandal? Okay. Well, we signed Grandal because we thought we wanted to get a guy that got on base and he put the ball in play and went deep. Okay. So you didn't want him behind the plate if you didn't have to have him behind the plate. Okay. Right. So if I, I'm going to save whatever reason I brought him into this team for, I'm going to save him for that. If their reason, and they said, oh, we thought he was a great catcher and, you know, we thought he went a go glove, then, well, then you got to go catch. But for whatever reason, they brought him into the organization. If I'm those two guys, I'm trying to save him for that as much as possible. So if there's injuries and, and, and he's working and, and you know, they're nagging, I'm going to try to keep him away from the plate as much as possible and be like, hey, you got to be the DH as much as possible. And talk that with him openly because I want to get you those at bat. Because when I did my when I programmed my plan and my strategy, I thought that by you having this many at bats, and this much production, we would get better. We need that to happen. We can't afford losing you because you want to be the catcher. I can't afford you losing you offensively. And then you right. just figure out, you know, who that catcher is going to be. And again, we talked about it. Someone's got to hit eight or nine. So you might find a guy that might be better defensively, might be better for the staff, and then you make a better team. You're just not like, this is not MLB the show. Like you got to build a good team. So I think that that's what they got to, look you know be honest with themselves and say what's Grandal like what are we you know what are we trying to do and again there's a lot of sexy things out there Wilson Contreras for one a lot of good catchers that you know people always want to you know right feel and this position I always say like who's the best player available and we'll make it work um and the whites have a lot of attractive obviously uh young pitchers and and players I'll give you an example I was shocked by the the Dylan Cease signing of Scott Boris yeah I was a White Sox fan. I probably would have gone and cried, you know, in the bathroom <laughs> after that. Because the odds of him signing with the White Sox just got worse. Not because anything. It's just historically, Sox haven't done great with Boris. Um, right. uh, and, 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 you know, he, he gets his pitchers huge deals. And he has stuff to, to point at. Are they worth it? That's for another debate. But the chances for him just signing back with the White Sox are like, they just got that much harder um, because of him representing him. So. You know, you've got to see what the best deal for the team is in the future. But Grandal is a catcher, opening day catcher, yes. He's got to get monitored health-wise. He needs to be in the lineup as much as – if Grandal's in the lineup the majority of the season, the Sox chances get better to compete 
all through the postseason, all through the all, all, all the way through. If he's not in the lineup, uh, that team looks way way different. Like, like I'm not going to make the playoffs different. Or I yeah, I agree. Junior, I want to ask you a question. Um, how do you think uh, Andrew Vaughn fits in this lineup going into 2022? Because everybody's been telling me that we need a left-handed bat. You know, we talked about Conforto. Uh, what about Gavin Sheets? Do you think there's a bigger role for Gavin Sheets on this team than Andrew Vaughn? You know what? I think that they made it really, really hard for Rick and Kenny. Okay? Because what those two guys did, and again, I, I know people thought that last year was a failure because they didn't get to be World Series champions, even though there's one World Series in 100 years. Um, that was two of the biggest victories ever. Okay? And this is why. Jermaine, Germinator, old dude, I don't care. You'd bring nothing to me the year after that. Okay. Hamilton, same thing. Every, like all those guys that were good, they were like, there's like, this sounds evil because they're young guys, but like, there's no future for you and my organization. Okay. Sheets and Vaughn are completely different. They showed sparks of like greatness. The White Sox fans did not hype them up too much. Okay. White Sox marketing not come say they're going to be the next Evan Longoria. They're going to be the next this. They're going to be the next that. This is a Cuban Otani. They just let them be. They're two boring white players. Okay? Nobody talked about them. Vanilla, huh? Vaughn, when he played left field, like he played it every single day of his life. Amazing. The guy had never had any repetitions back there. He looked solid. Okay? His swing through the zone, very, very, very clean. Okay? A ball player made himself useful again left hand bat very dangerous huge potential sheets well many people don't know this he grew up around the game okay his maturity level at playing the game at this level it comes very easy to him and when i say when it comes very easy to him very good at bats okay going the other way when they leave cookies the guy might have the most power on the team I would like to see him and Eloy in a in a just a batting practice just to see them hit to all fields. He hits, he has raw power. Like he hit the ball, like he'll if he plays every day, he'll hit 25, 30 home runs. He might hit 120, but if he plays every day, he'll hit a lot of home runs. So you got two guys that were like just thrown into I the need another Daniel Polka. Correct. This is the difference though. Daniel Polka, home run hitter, the swing wise and the the maturity of the player. I think that this these two guys have a little slighter, you know, better approach at the plate. Um, again, it's not easy. Paco did it for one year. You got to do it, you know, your sophomore year and whatnot. But I think this is what the hard part for the White Sox is. They, those guys can play right field. Okay, those guys might be the right field answer. They might be the platooning uh, of of the of the situation because if they produce and you can platoon them and figure it out. They might be the answer, but is it is it a scary one to go with? Absolutely. They've never done it every day. But I think that I think they're the number one guys that teams are asking for. Okay, I think those two guys are the guys that teams are like, I really want you. I think that the Cubs move. I think the Cubs, hopefully in a couple of years, they're not saying, I think they might say we want Andrew Vaughn and not Madrigal. Oh, hold on now. <laughs> you're, gonna see, you're gonna see that comparison because I think that they have a great chance of being, you know, they're gonna be great players. But I think that 
I don't think none of them have a lot to learn in Triple A. I think they need to be in the big league team. And that's the part that's scary because how do you get them playing time? So I I, I see Andrew playing left, right, you know, pl- you know, platooning. And if you have the other guys doing what they're supposed to do, you can have Andrew and and Sheets in the lineup. This is the funny part. Everyone wants somebody else to come in and do their job. Like the White Sox clubhouse, I wish I could be in there right now and say like, okay, we want somebody else to come in and take one of our jobs. So like, so like if Eloy and Moncada and those guys and everybody steps up and does what they're supposed to do, they don't need a right fielder to do that. They could, they, they need, you know, they could have an Aaron Rowan in their outfield. You know what I'm saying? Like production wise, like not everyone's going to hit 40 home runs. So I think that those two guys are the key, but also huge keys. If you're down the stretch. Okay. And again, these guys have their long-term plans. And you're like, we don't have a place for sheets, okay? We just signed Colos. You know, we, we, we already have Vaughn at first. You know, Grandal's probably going to have to be more of a DH. Sheets is not going to be able to play here. And you got a team saying, hey, we want sheets. Then you go and take whatever you need for sheets. And you make that move in the deep, in, in the playoffs. And you might get that one starter that you need or that extra arm or whoever it is that you need at that moment. And you move that piece for sheets. But I think that you provide them the most value as possible. And I think that's what they're going to use for. No one's mentioned the guy that I think is the biggest X factor yet. And it's not on the hitting side. It's on the pitching side. And he's still with the White Sox, believe it or not. And that's Ronaldo Lopez. If Ronaldo Lopez comes out and he is average, the White Sox are way better than they think that they are. The fact is that he doesn't have a big name. I'm scared that Keiko, you guys know about the Keiko option, right? Yeah, again, innings. 160 innings, yeah. no shot. So that's a lot. That's 24 million dollars that kicks in at 161 innings. Okay, the dangerous part is Keiko starts pitching well. Mm-hmm. Keiko's going to go out and try to get his money like he should. You're in the middle of the race. He's pitching well. Do you think White Sox fans are going to like that you shut him down if he's like, you know, pitching really well, and you just release him or trade him? No, no. They're going to want him because they're going to say, "I'm not going to let that option kick in." So you're going to look really bad if you release him. But if he pitches it, he's going to be on the team the following year. So the way that you offset that is how good can we have Ronaldo Lopez? Ronaldo Lopez could be the solidification because everyone thinks Kopech has a talent that's beyond this world. But making that jump, even for the greatest pitchers of all time, bullpen to starter is a very hard jump because of the inning consumption. Okay. Mm -hmm. Not the same that you pitch 75, 65, even 100 innings and throwing 160 innings, okay? So I think that you kind of help Kopech out, not have to eat that many innings by having a guy like Ronaldo Lopez kind of fill in. And now, obviously, you don't have Rodon, so you'll have to have somebody fill in those innings. So I think that he's a huge X factor. If they can find a way for him to be average, he doesn't have to be a Cy Young, he will be helpful to the White Sox starting rotation. Um, because I just think that the, as many arms as possible, because again, injuries happen and you need to have a guy like him. But again, I think that right now, Ronaldo Lopez, um, Sheets and Vaughn are probably the guys that they're asking for the most that are realistic for a trade. Um, you know, everyone that they ask for that they, those guys they're being asked for. And then again, I wouldn't trade um, another one that people bring up is Kimbrough. I wouldn't trade him at this point. I just keep him. I'd keep him, and Kimbrell is such a professional. He's not going to give up games. He'd be pitching in the first inning. He's going to do well. Like, he's going to try to do well. 
And then in the middle of the year, again, if he's pitching well and you don't think that deep in the playoffs, he might not be used for you in that role, you move him and you move him for a key piece for someone that does need him. So you got to have people are more desperate in the middle of the pennant race than they are, you know, in a lockout in January. Right. So I, I like him in the pen. I like him to stay. Man, you traded a big piece, man. You traded magical. You can't just let that piece just go. Small piece. No, that's a big piece. He had it right. <laughs> no. He wears well, a size seven in kids. I'm just saying, there's a <laughs> sense of like, he's a small guy, but like, he, he could play every day in the big leagues. Okay? So you traded somebody that can play every day in the big leagues with no backup plan, meaning there wasn't a guy in the minor leagues that you said, okay, I'm taking out this guy because this guy's going to replace him. That, that hasn't been the case. Unless Larry was going to be the gap and then they got somebody else. But, you know, they gave up a big piece, and you had to for a guy like for Kimbrough in the situation that we're in. Again, the Cubs knew that the White Sox needed him, and they said, okay, we're going to, you know, we did it before. We took Eloy and, and Cease <laughs> for Quintana. Right. You know, like, we done it. We did it to them before. So, I said we, I mean the White Sox. But So, I think that in that reality of, of looking at those moves, I think those are a couple guys that are in my roster. I, again, I look at it, and I'm like, man, I know that White Sox love Engel. They love him. They're obsessed with him. Um, probably going to start the year in the, in the in the DL. That's usually where he starts. And <laughs> That's where he always is. <laughs> so, like, so, like, historically, you're like, okay, when he's ready and playing, then, you know, you put Andrew and, and Sheets somewhere else. When he's hurt, you have those two backups. So it's a great, great, great problem to have. But one that you have to move around. Again, this is where Tony needs to be super, super Tony and meaning a great leader, and say, hey, guys, this is what's going to happen. You can't let anybody in that clubhouse manipulate what is right for the team. No seniority, no time frame, no nothing. Like, if they really want to go for it, everyone's got to be pulling from the same rope and letting him make moves and say, hey, you might not play today. You might have to platoon. This is your role. And whatever right. the plan is, um, because I think that your plan is to play well, you're going to make a lot of money, but Tony's job is to win. And he's going to put you in the best situation possible for you to do that. So if you start saying, well, I can only do this and I can only do that, it's not going to be a good start for the Sox in general. Uh, the other junior was crying all damn year about how the White Sox should have went out and got A.J. Hinch instead of Tony La Russa. Yeah. Uh, do you, I mean, what do you mean? Yeah, it's already over and done with. So who, so, so. So I, I, I'm gonna. This is another moment to roast White Sox fans. So why did you think AJ Hinch? Because Daddy Steve Stone said so. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, I have a question. So why AJ Hinch? I so the way the way I saw it is, I thought and like everyone's gonna get on me, oh, because he cheated and even when no 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 let's keep it. Let's 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 pretend because this is gonna make the conversation easier. Mm-hmm. Let's pretend AJ never cheated. That no, okay. he had never gotten caught. That his team had never been involved. That the 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 bang bang scandal had never happened. Why AJ Hinch? Uh, I thought he was a winner, and I got a lot of stuff on Twitter about it. And I just said, okay, let's see what he does. Let's see what he does with the Tigers. Whatever. He took a team with the Tigers, who I thought didn't have much talent at all, and was almost a five hundred team, almost a five hundred team. Now, granted, it's in the AL Central, and the AL Central sucks. The guy still won. And when they signed Tony La Russa, A.J. Hinch's signature was in the background of the phone. You know, so, you know what was in the background, right? I do not. If you know, I'd, I'd love to hear this, honestly. You and the stuff. Okay. 
Everyone on White Sox Twitter said that A.J. Hinch was going to be the manager because Steve Stone said this team's manager has to be a catcher and former player and basically said it was A.J. Hinch, okay? He tweeted that right when the season ended because none of the White Sox fans even knew that A.J. Hinch was around what he was doing, okay? The other part is that the White Sox think that the White Sox in the analytics is going to fan graphs and pulling out a graph and, and then it works. So my brother, Austin, worked for the Houston organization. Okay. The White Sox are about 15 years away from Houston. Okay. Most like most major league baseball, what the Houston Astros are doing. There's probably only a couple of teams that can replicate in the world of analytics, meaning they're way, way ahead of the curve. Okay. So AJ, yes, a great baseball man, had succeeded, okay, in a team that is heavily analytical, okay, heavily analytical. Not to mention he's got a great talent, by the way. Um, look, look at the talent that he's had to succeed with, with that pitching staff. So he's had great players, but a heavy analytical team, okay, super, super analytical. That I think the White Sox were at the same level of analytics as a, as, as a Houston that's where I was like worried about because I, I didn't know how much of a real in-game manager was. Detroit, solid team of prospects, and that's why they're dangerous. He had the young kids to play. Bad division. I'm not going to count against that against him. He did have a great year manager. He did. Okay. But a great analytical team. You know, they've done their stuff. I don't know how off they are with the White Sox, but a great analytical team. These are two reasons why the white why AJ Hinge was never going to be the White Sox manager, okay? Number one, he cheated, okay? This is what worries me. A.J. Hinge wasn't a 21-year-old first year on the job. He had been managing Major League Baseball for six years, okay? And then he said the players took over his clubhouse. If you have ever met Adrian Bell, if you ever had met Beltran or anyone that was on that team, they are babies in diapers, okay? Meaning in the realm of baseball nut jobs, they're very, very nice guys. If you let those guys take over your clubhouse, what do you think the White Sox are going to do? They are going to hang you on. These guys will be, you know, drinking vodka at second base, doing whatever. But here's the reason, here's the reason why he was really going to be a White Sox manager. And again, people don't do their homework. The general manager used to be an agent. Okay. Do you know who's one of his clients was his whole life and his really, really good friend? AJ Hinch. AJ Hinch, when you're a general manager and you dream about being a general manager or any point in baseball, you have your dream roster, a dream staff. If you ask me today, who would be in your front office? Joy Cora, Osnake and Boom Boom. I, can give, I, I might not give them titles, but I'm like, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. You know, my staff. His dream, regardless of what would have the situation kind of played out that he had the chance to AJ Hinge would have been the White Sox manager, regardless if this team was good, bad, a hundred games, 300 games, the guy that he wanted to manage, even if he thought he was going to be good or bad for this team, a good fit or not, was going to be AJ Hinge. Jerry, I don't think would have had a guy like AJ Hinge just because of what happened and the way though he carries his weight in baseball. Here's the other part which kind of worked in Detroit so far. Again, two different times. They can go different ways. AJ Hinch walks into a clubhouse and he starts talking to me about moral ethics. Sure. And this, yeah. that. I'm a player. I said, dude, go F yourself. 
Or if I go over four and he says, you got to do this. I might try and say, you cheated. So it's a situation where as a team that's ready to win, you don't know where that's going to go. If you're the Tigers, you have nothing to lose and risk. You're like, if this goes bad, we're going to suck. But if you're the White Sox, it was a very risky move to make because it could have gone the opposite way. Okay, especially, especially the guy that we're replacing. Rig Rancheria, baseball IQ as a manager, not very good. Connections to the players, Ricky was tucking him in bed. These guys love Ricky. Ricky was like having breakfast, you know, probably godfather to a couple kids. You know, the old, I'm being honest. No one knew that no one knew that there was issues in the White Sox clubhouse until Dallas Keiko said this place was a mess. And it was because players basically did whatever they want. But that was, again, that worked for Ricky and those guys. But those guys loved Ricky Renteria. Moncada loved Ricky Renteria. T.A. loved Ricky Renteria. Like, those guys loved Ricky. Okay? So he did not get fired because he lost the clubhouse or any of that. Those guys loved their manager. So for you to get rid of a manager that, they, that people love, and you need to bring somebody that they're going to be like, oh, okay, it's so-and-so. You can't bring somebody that kind of, Oh, well, back and forth. That, that's, but that's the, the mystique of White Sox fans thinking that he was going to come here because he was the best choice. And if you're going to do that, bring Alex Cora. He, he won after the cheating with the Red Sox. And you go and give him all the money you want. If that's going to be the case, you know. But, or, 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 you know, it, it, it's, just, it's just one of those funny things. Or, or, or if you're going to go to people that have had prior to sex, you got Ozzy. You know, like you can't, like, it's just, you wanted to find someone that was like, that Jerry could trust that he knew was not going to mess this up. And they then Tony said, I want, I'll take the job. That's where I think that the people linked it. But I think the Steve Stone saying that he was, this guy was going to be the White Sox manager and everyone thinking that jumping on that wagon and thinking, Oh my God, because everyone gets obsessed with analytics and this is the guy. Well, he had a really good team in Houston, like a really, 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 really good team. Okay. That was built a certain way, but also they had things in organization that we're going to make him. I, I agree with the fact that I don't think Tony was a wrong pick. I think that they should have sold it better. I think I would have interviewed everybody and their mother. Yeah, Cause the way I took it was they just, and again, well, it's, not, they, it's like they had a guy pre-selected. It's like, all right, Tony's the guy. I don't care what anyone they says. They always have guys pre-selected. They just make you think that they don't, but they have guys pre-selected. They have guys that are like, Hey, you know, interview this guy. And it's typical. When Ozzy was going to be the manager, the guy that was the favorite was Cito Gaston. And Ozzy went in as a Jerry favor, meaning Jerry said, you have to interview this guy. You know, got on the list because of Jerry, because he just came from the World Series and winning it as a third base coach. And they interviewed him and Kenny was blown away. And they made a move and they said, it's not Cito, it's Ozzy. So again, when, when you're doing those things, again, saying, if, if, if we're going to sit here and, and say this team did not win last year because of Tony, mm, I, I, I'm not going to buy that. Uh, right fielder down the whole year, you know, did he have some blunders of that Tony was in, like, I think he was dumb for admitting that he did. He way better man than me. I would have blamed it on my coaching staff. Um, I would have thrown them under the bus, said, no one told me that the runner on second rule. I'm not, that's not my job. My job is to manage. They, they should tell me the rules. You know, like stuff like that. Or I would have lied and said, you know, this guy was a great track star runner. <laughs> he just kind of wore it, kind of just did it. But again, uh, I think that I don't think that 
the team lost because of Tony. That's not. I don't either. I don't either. Um, but again, I think that the AJ Hinge, I don't think, I don't, but here's the thing. I don't think that if AJ Hinge comes to the team, I'm not going to say that they don't make the playoffs or that they win the World Series. I think AJ Hinge would have done just fine. I just think that they didn't want to risk that. I think that Jerry's reputation and the way that he's traditionally done things, that could have affected that. Okay. On where he has certain stands on certain things. White Sox have a lot of, we don't, the Sox do a lot of things not right, but being in scandals that come to like cheating, talking about modern Sox, not black Sox, but like cheating, steroids. The White Sox have been one of the few organizations that have kind of stayed clear of all that drama. You know, Frank Thomas is not like, oh, Frank, Hall of Famer, but he did steroids, or, oh, your team won a World Series, but there's seven guys in that team that did steroids, you know, Yankees. Like there's, uh, there's players, there's teams out there that have had a lot of success that when you look at their history and you really look at their team, you like have to scratch your head and said, well, how clean did you guys really do it? And I think the White Sox have always tried to stay away from that. And that's because of the way Jerry carries himself. So I think that had so much weight um, that they decided, no, I think the White Sox, here's the part that White Sox need to worry about. They need to worry about Tony's health. That's key. Because if Tony is not the manager and then Miguel Cairo is the manager, and Miguel Cairo's our boy, your odds of winning the World Series get so bad because that means that you are going to win the World Series back-to-back years in your history with two Venezuelan managers, two guys from the same country winning the World Series being born in Latin America. That's like winning the lottery probably. Just, just throwing that one out there. The odds of winning the World Series with two guys from the same country being the two managers that win the World your odds are like, that's why when like Vizquel was like rumored, I was like, you got to be shooting yourself in the foot. Oh, yeah, really? Okay, we're going to find a guy that's from the same country, same style, and you guys are going to win the World Series? Okay, good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, very hard. Odd-wise, odd that's not good for you. So I always give, and again, I said that. I said because... You know, everyone talks about Tony, but Tony's a is a is an older guy. And I and I said this, and you guys are gonna appreciate this, and the fans have listened to this. We've talked about it. I said if I was the owner, and we've talked to Jerry about it, you know, because it was Tony, I said, I'm gonna be honest with you. And this we're talking about windows. I said I'd hire two managers, like two guys, meaning managers, like money-wise, I'd hire two guys. I'd make Ozzy my bench coach, senior. Tony, the manager, and say, let's go at it. Ozzy doesn't talk to the media because he, what coach talks to the media, handles the players, gets back in the game, lives here in Chicago, something happens to Tony, oh, you know somebody that can manage a team. That actually yeah. sounds like the Braves. With, uh... so, that, so, so, that's a, so that's something that when, you're, when you are building your staff, and I even said it for, for the Padres, like if I was the Padres and I was spending that much money, I would have said, Ozzy, I'll give you 1.5 mil or you're going to pay you as a manager and you'd be Bob Melvin's bench coach because obviously you just don't want to do it because they're paying you more on TV. So I'm going to make it lucrative enough for you because if that general manager doesn't win, he's fired. I don't know about the guys here in Chicago, but if, if he doesn't win this year with Bob Melvin and all that, they're gone. They're, I don't see them surviving that. So for me, it's like when I'm doubling down, coaching staff, players, if my window's there, I'm going all in. Like as a general manager, I'm, if when I get fired, I'm going to say I pulled every lever possible for me to succeed. Money is not going to be an issue because those games, again, you got COVID, 
You got Omicron, all these weird things that are happening in the world. And Tony's an older guy. We just, Terry Francona has been managing Cleveland, the Guardians now. He's missed freaking a year and a half, you know? So those are the things that, like, I don't see a transition. Maybe they do, but I'm like, so if it's not Tony, like, who's going to manage the game? Like, I think about things like that. And I love Miguel Cairo. I think that he's a guy that's prepared. If he's a guy, you know, but you have to have those plans, A, B, C, you know, like what happens with the team when it goes on there. So like, I, I, I always joked around about that. Cause then, you know, what are they going to say? Like media can't say anything, you know, this can't say anything. And again, that was like a funny thing. Cause Ozzy will probably only do that for Tony La Russa, uh, and for the White Sox, I think. Um, but I just thought it was like, okay, like you really need to, if you're going after it, you got to go all in. Like, you know, if we have one hitting coach, that's like really good mentally, we got to pay a guy that's like on paper, the assistant, but it's just as good as the other guy. So like the pitching coach, if he's like really good pregame, you might bring a guy who's a veteran to help him in game and whatever his title is on paper doesn't matter, but you pay that guy what a pitching coach is worth and you have two minds in there. So that's where I think that when you start, when you're that close, you can't let money become an issue. And that's what fans think about like signing this guy and that guy. I'm like, okay, like you have to look at the whole picture. Like, and I, I give him credit, like uh, Westhelm, Westhelm's the manager in AAA. Whoever uh, his staff is down there and the preparation that they've been having with the minor leaguers is probably one of the best in White Sox history. And I'm going to say that because every kid, every player that came up to play for the White Sox, they were all ready to play. I'm not saying that they were going to be superstars, but everyone that came to have an at-bat or played defensively was ready to play at the big league level. And that's all you asked for. I was like, they're doing whatever, whatever they're doing in the minor leagues is working for them because they came to be ready to play. So you got to give credit to that. Absolutely. We are, you're a guest of ours. So we'll give you the last closing words and we'll let everybody go first. And then we'll let you close it out. Uh, Ozzy Junior. All right, go ahead, Junior. What you got for the people? Man, I don't really have anything for the people, um, but I will say to be on here for an hour and a half, talk to Ozzy Jr., this has been, excuse me, like fucking awesome to have someone come on here with as much baseball knowledge as you, um, be able to really ask you anything and you give your honest opinion. Talk about Moncada. Moncada is your boy. Uh, honest opinions about your father. It, it's been awesome, man. Thank you. It was a great time. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for coming on, Oz. I remember when I was a kid in Section 134 and you were in Section 133 with your family over there. I, you know, we'd always say what's up whatever, uh, when your dad was playing way back in the 90s, you know. Um, so awesome to have you on. And yeah, that that's cool. And you got me fired up for the baseball season. And I hope we're uh, ready to go. Hope this lockout ends. Really fucking refreshing show tonight. Uh, I'm kind of in the feels right now because this is one of the first times I'm talking baseball that I get to be an actual fan. I don't got to run my punk ass to baseball reference to have an argument between about Wade Boggs and Harold Baines with Ken Woe <laughs> tonight. Uh, really <laughs> organic show. Uh, you know, like I said earlier, five different guys, five different backgrounds, and we all came to a medium to talk some fucking ball. Uh, Ozzy Jr., it was a fucking honor to pick your brain tonight, and I hope hopefully you enjoyed your show tonight. Yeah, I'd like to close it out on the uh, on another note. Uh, you got Barry Bonds and David Ortiz argument going on right now. 
And to me, sports is always supposed to be about what a player did on the field. His accomplishments, how successful he was. And it seems like with this David Ortiz maybe getting in and Barry Bonds not getting in, it seems like the sports writers is taking that away from sports. And corporate America, yes, is not what you know, it's who you know. You maybe can kiss ass to get to the top. It's all fine. But in sports, it's supposed to be about what did you do on that field. And for David Ortiz, if he make it to the Hall of Fame and Barry Bonds don't, that is a fucking sham. And that's the truth. Barry Bonds was a Hall of Famer before any steroids ever crept up in his career. Period. You can't deny it. I think it was a three-time MVP before any steroids allegation. Put that man in the Hall of Fame and stop the bullshit. Don't get mad because he didn't kiss your ass. With that being said, what words you got for us, uh, Ozzy? Man, King Mac, that's just really, really hard to follow because I will be very, very sad if Barry Bonds does not get into the Hall of Fame as Roger Clemens. Um, the part of what I enjoyed about the show today was that we talked baseball, regardless of your opinion on a player, on your strategy. We all have ours. We all have our lineups. Um, we all have what we feel and think about players and, and what they can bring to the table. Um, we all have our fantasy teams in our heads, you know, for, for the teams that we have. And we all love playing, you know, the hardest two roles uh, right now for White Sox you know, fandom are, you know, the jobs of, of Kenny Williams and, and Rick Hahn, you know, it, right now it lies on their shoulders. Uh, Jerry's the owner. So he, regardless of whatever happens, he's still going to own the team. Those guys are, are going out there and, and putting the best team together. It's a very hard time in baseball because number one, social media, just in sports in general, and, and everyone starts worrying about things that are not giving me wins and losses. You know what the scary part is King Mac is that, I grew up in the game of baseball. People think that I just came in 2005 and just, my, you know, just came into the team and was around only that team. I, I, I was around the game, watched a lot of White Sox games sitting right when I was a scout seats. I don't know if my dad would probably pay for those seats now, probably a lot cheaper when he played, but we had season tickets. So I yeah, saw, my dad wouldn't pay for those now either. Yeah, so like <laughs> they have like, you, you know, you, I used to see teams come in and players come in and, and it was the era of like where guys were doing things. And, and it's always been a part of the game of baseball, but there's a lot of, I don't judge players of what they do off the field. Number one, because myself as a person, I'm not perfect. Okay. If I've not done certain things, other people have done. Absolutely. But in the world of like judgment, I might've done something that might offend someone that is not offensive in my world. Okay. And vice versa. Um, and when you start playing that game of like judging a guy's career, okay, about maybe something that he believes in uh, or something that he did, it starts becoming really hard because, especially in the game of baseball, like when we're talking about steroids, like how much did you do them? Okay. And I have a hard time because I did, I played in college. I've not, I've done stuff and I don't think I got any better. Okay. So there's that element of like, you still have to have this talent in order to be great. And the guys that we're talking about, they were already great. They just became like monsters of the game. 
So for to keep those guys out, I think that you're hiding part of our history. And when we're looking at society now, isn't that what we're fighting now? Like in the non-baseball world is the fact that we hit a lot of history, a lot of bad things that happen. And then a hundred years later, come out and we're like, hey, by the way, all this bad stuff happened. Bring it out. And now you're like, this is handle it now and say, hey, we, it was bad. Let's face it. Let's move on. And we deal with it. And to show that the game is not perfect, because now look, look what happens. But when you look back in the history of the game, because all this has done is just do a Google search and you Google guys like Ty Cobb, Babe Ruth, Hornets Wagner, Clemente, and you start looking at their personal lives, you start having a different view on them. Okay. Positive or negative. You're like, when I was a kid, somebody told me that they like, Jackie Robinson was a Republican. I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> what the fuck does that mean? You know, like. <laughs> I didn't know. Like, I didn't know. Like, I literally went and Googled. I was like, oh, fuck, Jackie, he was, a, he was a registered Republican. Like, I had no idea. But that, people only know that because they've gone and Googled him and they probably got into an argument and, you know, it got political and they brought Jackie and then they threw that back out. So, like, I think that the quicker you deal with this stuff up front, the better the game's going to be. And that's why I enjoy this show so much because we just talk baseball, okay? Are the White Sox going to be good this year? They should be. If they're healthy, they're going to probably win the division. They're going to play good baseball. Are they going to win the World Series? If I knew that, I'd put, you know, I second mortgage my house and put a bet if I was that serious about it. But I'm not because that's the game of baseball. They have to play the games. Can there be improvement? Absolutely. But you have to enjoy it. Baseball is like life. No matter how good it gets, there's going to be shitty parts of the season. Okay? There's going to be moments where we're like, fire this guy and fire that guy. That's why I look. it's a sport that's the most realistic to life. Because even when you're awesome – you're going to have moments in your stretch, like in life, where you suck and then you're and you're in the bottom. The part is the great teams, and that's what we love great teams, is what do you do once you're hitting those bottom spots? Are you going to roll over and fucking cry and, like, give in? Or are you going to do something and, like, go out? For me, I'm going to, I'm going to end it on this. For me to think that the White Sox have done great things, I want them to lose the World Series like the Cleveland and Indians did versus the, the Marlins in 97. Last inning pitch down the middle, base hit, you get walked off. Like Mariano Rivera lost against Arizona Diamondbacks. One pitch, base hit, you get walked off. Like you literally fought it till the last inning, last pitch. That's something you have to be proud of. If you lose a World Series like that, even if you don't win it as an organization, as a team, you're like, we were there. Like you have success. That's what I think that the people should be wanting. You don't know if you're going to get a ring, but if you go in and you battle it, you're going to get – you're going to get that satisfaction because you go to the playoffs and get your ass kicked every single year. I don't care if you go to the playoffs the next 10 years in a row, that's not going to be satisfying. But if you play really hard and you compete and people know that you did your best and that you just got beat because of just bad shit luck, then people are going to respect you. And I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully the lockout doesn't keep us out till June uh, because I'm a little worried about that, but we'll talk about it for a different time. With that being said, black and white out. (laughs) 